movie buffs will tell you that sequels can be a little hit and miss. Well, they clearly haven't seen Dovi Marquez 2. Welcome to Bite Live. Let's go! Yes, this is episode 51 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as we look back on a fantastic opening weekend to the MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 seasons, making that four-month wait every little bit worth it. Um, as Andrea Vizioso and Mark Marquez picked up essentially where they left off in 2017 with another classic duel to the finish now, under the lights in Los Isle. We'll talk all about Andrea Vizioso's victory as he went fourth-time lucky in Qatar after finishing second the last three years, and Mark Marquez, who finished runner-up, but may well have served notice as to just how difficult he's going to beat in 2017. So many stories coming from the opening race weekend of the season in Qatar that we will break down for you, including Yamaha's mixed bag of a start to the season as Rossi salvaged the podium whilst Vinales went missing for two-thirds of the weekend, whilst Joan Zarco upstaged a pair of them with the fastest ever qualifying lap of La Salle on the Saturday night. Um, we'll also talk about some of the independent riders as Petrucci ended up unhappy with fifth, uh, whilst Alex Rins um, served notice for his and Suzuki's potential in the 2017 season. We'll also talk about the rookies who impressed, particularly Franco Morbidelli, the Moto2 champion, uh, how Francesco Bagnaia opened his victory account in the Moto2 class with a very, very close victory over Lorenzo Baldassari and the Moto3 class, which was as brilliant as ever as Jorge Martin won a photo finish with Aaron Canet. Um, if you listened to Motorsport 101 earlier this week, you'll have heard Andre Harrison tell you how the winning margin in the three races we saw last weekend was just a tenth of a second. It was that good a weekend um, last weekend. If that's not all, though, we will also preview the 2018 British Superbike Championship, which gets underway next weekend, um, snow permitting, um, on Easter weekend at Donington, um, next weekend. Joining me to do all of that is Andre Harrison. I mean, Dre, as I mentioned right up the top, it was a four-month wait, but last weekend, MotoGP 2 and 3 made it absolutely worth it. Oh, man. It's been such a long off-season, I can't tell you. Um, it, just wonderful to have bikes back, and it was well worth the wait. Three fantastic races. Um, the quality in the field still really, really strong indeed. Um, again, all three races coming down to essentially photo finishes. Um, some old stories, some new, um, some new stars at the top, s some old veterans that are still there. There's a lot to break down, a lot to talk about, and uh, we wouldn't have it any other way on this show. Welcome to episode 51, everybody. Yeah, we're going to enjoy this one. Uh, also, just to mark your card as well, uh, this weekend sees the second round of the World Superbike Championship um, in Thailand at Buriram. We might well touch on that before we go uh, at the end of this show because it's a fascinating race weekend given that we head into it for the first time in three years with someone other than Jonathan Bray leading the World Championship. Um, huh? So we might well touch on that this weekend. But just to mark your card, potentially next week, um, we have agreed uh, with the voice of the sport, Greg Haynes, for him to return to the show uh, following the Thailand round of the World Superbike Championship for a... Uh, a catch-up on all things World Superbike, so you've got that to look forward to in the coming weeks. Um, but first of all, let's tell you about all the places you can find us here on uh, Bike Live and in Motorsport 101, starting on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow us individually, at Harrison101HD, um, with uh, plenty of hot take over this opening F1 weekend coming up, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, <laughs> and Lewis sort of be 23 if you want to follow myself. Um, YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. The Dre Brief made a return today as we record this. 
Um, so head over to the, the YouTube channel to have a watch of that, talking all things IndyCar. Um, you can also go to our website for some written content. Zoe's made a debut on there this week, motorsport101.net. Uh, and if you like us so much that you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access um, to both of our weekly shows, this show and Motorsport 101, um, it's patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. And if you have backed us there, you will have already listened, no doubt, um, to both episode 127 and 128 of Motorsport 101. Um, no less than four and a half hours of audio for your listening pleasure this week. Um, talking about the Formula 1 season preview to start with, Ray right? episode 127. Um, as you try and keep your excitement very much under control for this one. <laughs> what excitement? Where? Um, <laughs> um, I feel sorry for the guy I had to edit all of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, two episodes of Motorsport 101 out this week. Episode 127, affectionately known as the Hate for Eight, the 2018 Formula One season preview as we go up and down the grid, breaking down all the teams, all the changes for the 2018 season, and we try to feign some level of enjoyment um, as we try to find any way of not predicting Lewis Hamilton to win the title. Spoiler alert, we didn't do particularly well on that one. Um, and episode 128, where we also reviewed a very exciting Formula E race up until the last day as John Eric Verne became the Great Wall of Verne, as we like to nickname him on this show, after one of the great defensive driving performances holding off a rampant Lucas Degrassi, who was too busy wearing an eight grand fine for having shorts on. You'll have to listen to the show to get the full context behind that one. Trust me. And we managed to pinch Hazel Southwell from an airport again. Like, I don't know how she keeps doing that. It's, it's really impressive, I must say. So, yeah, episodes 127 and 128 of Motorsport 101 will be available by the time this goes out. Look forward to it. Yeah, yeah just to let you into the life of an editor um, on Motorsport 101 <laughs> as the podcasts are, are edited together. Um, sometimes you hear lines in shows, and you'll hear this when you listen to episode 128. Well, you think, I'm going to save that line. That might become useful in the future. Um, mm -hmm. be, it, be it in blooper reels or just in funny montages. And I have to say, the line that Dre shot out of, King, talk to me about Lucas Degrassi's pants. Um, <laughs> has, has to be one of the best of the season uh, yep. so far. You can hear that and plenty more in episode 128 of Motorsport 101, as well as episode 127, the season preview for the new Formula 1 season, um, which gets underway in a matter of hours as we speak to you um, over in Melbourne. Um, right then, let's talk two wheels and the opening round of the MotoGP season, which got underway last weekend um, in Qatar. As I mentioned, a brilliant weekend um, across all three classes, three fantastic races, and um, MotoGP, arguably the best of the lot, Dre. I mean, it says a lot before we talk about the individuals involved and the, the racing we got that for much of that Grand Prix, we had an eight-slash-nine rider leading group, which featured riders on Hondas, Yamahas, Ducatis, and Suzuki's, let's not forget as well, um, just emphasising the rude health that MotoGP's in nowadays. Five different teams in the top five. Um, Johan Zarco was seven seconds off the win and finished in eighth. Um, the, as proven by uh, Martin, one of the stats nerds out there, the closest point scoring finish in the history of premier class motorcycle racing. 23 seconds covered the top 15. This was the most competitive MotoGP race of all time, statistically, and it showed. It was a, a fantastic race and another brilliant advert for MotoGP that, it, like, right now, and I think you pointed out on Twitter on Saturday night before the race, you could have picked out seven or eight potential race winners there. Yeah, and, made a genuine case for them. 
yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Like, like throughout the weekend, at one point, like Yamaha might might be back on top. At one point, you know, Dovi looked like he was going to be very strong in the race, but then had a poor qualifying session. Johan Zarco obliterates the oldest lap record left on the calendar. That was Jorge Lorenzo's very first qualifying session back in 2008. That record has stood for a decade. And three men went underneath the old record in, in, in Q2 under the magic one minute 54 barrier. Um, Zarko was a, that was a stunning qualifying lap to put him on pole position. Um, so many little highlights to take away from this weekend in general, but the overarching theme for me was competition and the field is just bustling with it right now. And like, I'm not doing it justice when I say the top five or five different teams, because you could have easily factored in riders like Alex Rins in that who sadly did not make the flag. Um, this was an incredible spectacle. Um, and it went down to the wire as we were hoped it, as we hoped it did not with the riders I expected, which we'll get to in a second, but, just overall, a, a great spectacle, a great exhibition for the sport, and no better way to kick off the season, if you ask me. Yeah, it probably would have been six different teams in the top six had Zarko not faded so dramatically mm. towards the end, um, which we'll talk about later on. Um, and yeah, as you say, it perhaps wasn't the three riders, or the two riders, should I say, you're expecting up the front towards the end of the Grand Prix. Um, but it's funny, isn't it, in this incredibly competitive environment that MotoGP has nowadays, um, with so many more competitors up the front, that the cream still rose to the top. Um, yes. In the end, we still had a podium of Davizioso, Marquez and Rossi. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the top two of those three, um, taking it all the way to the flag, to the finish line, with a battle that went all the way down to the final corner. We thought we were spoiled last season, Dre, with the battles of Austria and Mategi, and they provided us with another one. More, more. I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, yes, absolutely right. Um, went down to the wire. Last two laps, it was it was becoming a little bit clear that Dovi and Marquez maybe had just a couple of extra attempts on Valentino, who wasn't quite able to keep up with them. But it went down to Dovi v Marquez. It went down to the final corner. Marquez once again trying the lunge on the final corner, and once again Dovi just follows the racing line, plays it smart, doesn't overcook it. And, you know, squirts it out in front and then takes it to the flag. You're never going to beat the Ducati in a drag race. Mm. Um, not in a million years. So, Dovi winning literally by a nose. Um, 0.027 between them over the line. And um, another fantastic fight between those two. Those two... Those two know how to get the best out of each other. And I love the fact that those two race with the utmost of respect for each other. They've never made contact. They they, they, they seem to have each other's number. They know what the other one's going to do. They know what they're going to try. And, you know, we've not had any spillover. There were, there were, there were hugs all round in, in Park Ferme afterwards. Um, another classic between those two. And the third time now, Lovie has got one over on Marquez. To, to take the checkered flag. Fantastic race and fantastic performance from both of the toast two at the front. Yeah, it's astonishing, isn't it, how they've had three of these head-to-heads go all the way down to the wire now, and Dovi is three for three um, yeah. against Marc Marquez. Whoever thought that anyone, let alone Davizioso, who, again, a year ago, we still weren't seeing him at the in the, in the, in the eyes that we see him through now um, as this, this alien of, of MotoGP. Even as recently as 12 months ago, we still weren't looking at Davizioso um, in, the, in that context. Um, but yeah, once again, getting the better of Marc Marquez in a straight fight. Um, and it, it's astonishing. I mean, I, I look back on the weekend that Davizioso had, and he looked so strong through free practice. Um, mm. But the race itself just showed, once again, just how unflappable he is and how nothing seems to phase him. 
Because no. you, you could argue that he kind of got ambushed in qualifying. Everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of us thought pole position was going to go to Dovi um, on Saturday night. I mean, I, I predicted him on the GP predictor on the BT Swap website that, that well, I'm sure many of you listening perhaps play along with. I predicted a Dovi pole on that. I, mean, I don't think mm-hmm. I was alone on that one. Um, and was amazed to see him punted down to the second row um, as Zarco, Marquez and Petrucci got ahead of him on the grid. Um, and I think Rins did the same. Um, and on the first lap of the Grand Prix as well, Dre, he had a pretty rotten start. He was ninth at the end of the, the yeah. first split on the first lap of the Grand Prix. And I had a lot of work to do. Um, but coolly, methodically, in true Dobby style, he just got to work, climbed his way up the order, just picked them off one by one, knowing that he had that trump card of the Ducati power down the home straight. Um, again, completely unflappable. And then once again, when we came to that final corner and Mark Marquez was preparing to throw the kitchen sink at him, there was no sign of Andre Vizioso being the slightest bit rattled. He's a nice man now. He just doesn't make mistakes. He, like, he, like, he didn't have the particularly... Again, he didn't have a particularly good start. It happens in MotoGP. The starts are very unpredictable. But as you say, just completely unfazed under pressure. Um, got his head down, did what he had to do, stayed calm. You know, it's a long race. It's a 40-minute 40, 40 race. You know, you're, you're not going to win a race on the opening corner, but you sure as hell can lose one. And, like, he, he got his head screwed back on, got back up the field, and just took his time, just inched his way forward. And this was in the middle of, like, the fastest part of the race when it was Rossi, when it was Zarco, Petrucci, all in that leading group. And... Dovi inched his way to the front, took control of the race. And that's what Dovi, I think, has been getting better and better at. He controls the race. He makes moves when he needs to make moves. And right like, about five to go, he just set like two or three fastest laps of the race. He did a 50, I think there was a 55-2 in there right at the end with three to go, trying to pull the pin. And then Marquez was the only man capable of being able to go with him, which has kind of been the story of, the, of those two for the last year and a bit now, where it's like those two, uh, or you could argue, are in a league above everybody else to a degree now in MotoGP, despite the fact it's so close. Those two just seem to have a little bit more um, at the moment. But um, Dovi, Dovi played that to perfection, especially given the he had a difficult start and had to make up ground he probably wouldn't have wanted. Um, at the start of that race, and especially given his qualifying wasn't particularly strong either. So all all told, Dovi will be laughing to, to leave Qatar with a win after after how bad love you know, sector one on lap one of Sunday was to come back from that. Yeah, he he was superb, and yeah, like I say, it's just a he, he, it's, he, again, it's I think it's not just how we see Dovi now, but I think even Dovi sees himself, um, looks at himself differently now, and takes himself more seriously than perhaps he did in the past um, because. Like I say, there were many a rider, and perhaps Dovi would have done the same a few years ago after a start as poor as that, where he's ninth on the first lap, would have perhaps panicked, would have tried to force it and tried to get a little impatient to make his way through the field. But it was almost as if he was just sat there in ninth place thinking, let's not panic, I've got this. I, I, I know full well I've got the pace to pick these guys off when I need to. Um, so let's not rush it. Let's just let's just get to work here. And, and that's what he does these days um, in MotoGP. He's so good at just, just thinking his way through races and... There was a an analogy that a few riders used, and I heard Neil Hodgson reference it um, on the commentary on BT Spot over the weekend about how they referred to him as being an alien from behind. In other words, that he's so good at playing the hunter role rather than being the hunted and just, just following guys and just picking them off later in races. And just, I think it's a sign. I always think it's a sign in any sport of what makes someone just one of the elite of their sport where you know full well how good they are and you know full well 
what makes them so good, but you're still completely unable to stop them doing it. Um, right. You know, it's like when Ronnie O'Sullivan just reels off frame after frame in snooker, where you know exactly how good he is and how to stop him, but it doesn't mean mm-hmm. you'll be able to do it. Um, right. Because you know they could just take races, take take games away from you, and Dobby can just take races away from guys now. Because I think we first saw it at Mugello last year, we saw it again at Silverstone, where Dovizioso just seemed to be in this new league now, where he was not only able just to follow guys and just pick them off, but he was also able to do what he did in Qatar's weekend and just pull the pin and just unleash yeah. this extra level of pace, which I'm not sure why I associated with Dobby before, but he has that in his locker now. Yeah, like. If you wouldn't have known any better, you'd have thought that was 93 at the front of that race towards the end there. A, a, a bit of a sloppy start, maybe not the best qualifying session. Comes back through the field because of just how just of how freaking fast he is. And as you said, that's a signature Marquez ability, being able to pull the pin. I've seen many a Marquez race. With about seven to go, he will, he will unleash his true pace. And then he'll basically say, come and chase me if you're fast enough. And a lot of the time, it doesn't happen. Dovi did that with basically five to go um, this time around in Qatar. And like I said, he, he seems to now have got to, to the point in that Ducati now where his pace can match anyone on race day. Anyone. And that's terrifying that, you know, he's he might even be like even more well-rounded than he was towards the end of last season. He's now managed to find a way to channel even more pace um, out out of that Ducati, which is just incredibly impressive. So, yeah, like, the way it's going right now, it's it's looking like he is terrifyingly quick. And when you combine that with, with his already shrewd level of tactical now, his tyre management, you, you might be looking at the complete rider in MotoGP, not named Mark. And that's no disrespect because we all know that Mark is a monster in his own right. And I'll get to one little moment with Mark as to just 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 to remind us just how freaking brilliant this man can be sometimes. Yeah, it's, be- uh, it's become but, quite popular on social media this week, hasn't it? Um, something that Mark Marquez got up to in the Grand Prix. But yeah, just finishing off on Dovi. Um I, I always marvel at some of these guys and their abilities at this, you know, this incredibly intense atmosphere going around at two hundred miles an hour. You know, rubbing shoulders sometimes with these other guys to just be able to read a race and read everything that's going on around you. And, and Vizioso has clearly put himself in that in that realm now where even at that incredible pace, that incredible intensity, he's able to not only judge how quick he can go, but he's, he's sat there in fourth place as he was for a lot of that Grand Prix following Zarco, Rossi and Marquez, judging everyone else's pace and just judging for himself, I can break these guys. You know, I've got a level of pace that if I can get to the front, I can gap this lot. Um, and, and that's what Dovi tried to do. Mark Marquez tried his level best to stop him um, and went with him towards the end. And, uh, and yeah, he came to this final corner battle, which Dovizioso won. And again, his ability to read the race, just as he did in, our, in, in Austria last year and again in Mategi, where it was almost a case of, especially given in Qatar how long the run is to the finish line out of the final corner, it's not so much getting out of the last corner first, it's who gets the better exit and the better drive out of that last corner. It's probably going to win the drag race uh, to the finish line, especially if you have the straight line speed that that Ducati has. Um, so Andre De Vizioso always had that trump card um, to play just, when just, he just needed a, it. Yeah, just a quick fun fact. Let's talk about Ducati in top speed. Fastest top speed in that race, Nuno Petrucci, 219 miles an hour. Down home straight. Um, Five, that, that, that's 350 clicks in old money. Um, yeah. Terrifying. Ludicrously fast. fast. And I know I'm doing it as well. I mean, we're going to make a few conclusions, I no doubt, because we've only got one race to judge them, to draw conclusions mm. from. But um, when we're looking at the season as a whole, 
Um, I mean, we'll talk about Marquez in a second, but from Davizioso and Ducati's point of view, um, Davizioso obviously will be heading to this season looking himself as a title contender, and Ducati will be thinking title this year. Um, and it would be way too far to suggest that had Davizioso not won last weekend that he wasn't going to win the championship. But having said all of that, without question, Dre, this will have been a race weekend long before the start of the season that Ducati will have targeted. Yes, like... Dovi has finished second here the last three years in a row. Um, second to three different Yamaha riders, of all things. Rossi, Lorenzo, and Vinales last year. Um, so this is a round that Dovi has always gone well at. He's always been in the mix for wins. He's been very close on three separate occasions to winning um, in Qatar. He's not quite pulled it off. This was a step forward for Ducati. They've got a win under their belts at a track they don't normally win at. That's a nice plus um, for Ducati, but this is one of their stronger rounds. This is traditionally been a stronger round for him. They've had chances to win it before with Iannone as well when he was part of the factory setup. Um, so this is this is a round that Ducati has always gone strong. This is one of their stronger rounds, so they will take that win. They'll obviously be very happy with that. Um, going into what could be tricky because Ducati have not gone particularly well the next two rounds, and that's Cota and Argentina in, in, in a week's time. Um, so... Yeah, they, they they got a good result. Now it's going to be damage limitation for the next couple of rounds. I think Dovi will be thinking if he can get a couple more podium finishes in the next two, he'll be in good shape heading into I the. I think European we're really going to find out in these next two rounds whether this uh, this new Ducati chassis that Casey Stone and Jorge Lorenzo were raving about after the Sepang test about how it turns much better. We're really going to find out in these next two rounds, aren't we? Um, if that is indeed the case, because you need a good front end and a, good, a bike that turns well. Um, in Argentina, with that twisty middle sector, and in Cota, with that very twisty first sector uh, and last sector, you're going to need a bike that has a good front end. So we'll see very much so um, if this GP18 is indeed um, the real deal, as their riders think it is, um, the, over these next two rounds. And, uh, yeah, it, it kind of answers, I think, again, we've only got one round to base this on, but I think we kind of already have the answer to the question that we kind of posed pre-season as to whether last year was Dovi's one big year or whether he is literally a new rider now and he's elevated himself. I think we have the answer to that, don't we? Um, after oh, yeah. round one in Qatar. Um, the man he beat there, Mark Marquez, finishing second, and uh, it led to the uh, rather comical, in my view, I think in Dre's view as well, front-page headline of MCN asking, is Marquez beaten? Question mark. Well, he might have been last weekend, but... <laughs> I think I think in terms of his season, Dre, this is a circuit historically that both Marquez and Honda have not gone particularly well at. It's arguably their weakest on the calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Marquez to come within a hair's breadth of winning here, it's kind of ominous, isn't it? It is kind of ominous. I mean, Marquez, um, this is like he's he's only won once round here before. That was in 2014, where the bike was 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 fundamentally brilliant, and you know he would go on to. Yeah, would go on to win 13 rounds that season. So, um, yeah, that, this is not traditionally a track that Marquez goes rail around. But, and you know, to be fair, going into the weekend, he was okay, but he never really looked like he had any real chance of winning that. But in the race, it all came together. And Marquez was the only guy who was, you know, able to give Dovi any sort of fight at the end of that race. And again, very nearly got the W. He, I think he'll be delighted to leave Qatar with 20 points, um, given that, again, the bike was not really competitive at any point in that weekend. Um, so, and again, we mentioned it before, but two, arguably Marquez's two best rounds are coming up next in Argentina and at Cota. 
Um, he was yeah, he's, he's, he's dominated weekends there in the past. Marquez will be thinking, take 50 out of 50 out of the next two. And he'll be he'll have seventy out of seventy five out of the first three rounds, and he'll absolutely be leading the championship probably by uh, by double digit margins, mm. uh, and that would be fantastic. If Marquez could do that, he will not sniff at a second place here whatsoever. We we've seen it the last couple of years that Marquez has become a much more well rounded rider. He's not going to overexert himself too much now to chase a few extra points. He will take what's in front of him, and that was a very very impressive second place given that I know Honda does not go well around Qatar. It's been a Yamaha track for as far as I can remember. Like going back to, you know, even even in the years past, it, it was it was Lorenzo and Stoner. It was, Stoner was often very strong around here as well. Um, so they'll take it. I, I think they'll gladly take a second for Marquez there. Danny Pedrosa wasn't a million miles away in seventh either. Again, like again, Pedrosa again was nowhere this weekend. And, you know, he finished above where he probably should have done on paper um, in seventh place as well. So all in all, I think Marquez will be very happy to leave Qatar with 20 points. He can get his head down and he'll focus for Argentina next weekend. And, and that'll be a circuit that they'll definitely be stronger at. And one that I think Marquez will absolutely be aiming to win at. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry to sorry to flog this dead horse again. But I just turned the page to the uh, opening couple of pages of MCN, and the headline reads: "Is Mark Marquez a beaten man? Piss off, MCN! Get he, out of here!" I mean, I mean, for goodness' sake! I mean, the way I read that final corner, right? I, I don't know about you, Dre, but I mean, hmm. if Mark Marquez simply followed Davizioso through that final corner, he still wasn't going to win. Um, no, because, because the Ducati's quicker down the straight. I think that was Mark Marquez essentially just trying his luck. He knew full well the only way he was going to beat Davizioso is if he leads him out of the last corner and somehow holds him off. Perhaps if he, you know, dives up the inside of Davizioso and messes him up. Um, it just so happened on this yeah. occasion, as in the last two occasions they went wheel to wheel, Dovi had the right answer to it and he had the straight line speed to, to convert it. Mm -hmm. I think that was Mark Marquez getting out thought or being, you know, necessarily uh, considered a beaten man by losing that to Davizioso. That was simply Mark Marquez just basically trying the only move that he could try on Davizioso, right? It was low percentage, but it was the only percentage chance he had to win that race. You will not beat only shot. Yeah, you will not beat Ducati in a drag race to the line. Not in a bajillion years. It, if he follows him through, he has a 0% chance of winning. If he dive-bombs him at the last corner, he's got half a chance. That was the only option. He had to do it. If anything, Marquez just he went in a little bit too hot. He had to. He just couldn't hold the apex. If he holds the apex, he probably wins. Um, but he just didn't. He just didn't quite have the answer. Dovi just followed the race in line, waited for Marquez to go wide, which he did. So, you know, and got the cut back and, and came through and won one. Well, it looked comfortable in the end. It was only a bike length, really, in the end, anyway. By the time he got to the line, you know, Marquez did get a pretty good exit on the last corner for what it's worth. Um, if that if the finish line is, is 200 yards later, who knows? But um, for what it's worth, Marquez could do no more. He he threw the house at it. He he had to do something. It was a, it was a good attempt at the final corner. I'm not going to go out here and make claims that Marquez has been fundamentally beaten there because of a oh, move that, he that had somehow to... some weakness has been exposed. No, like we are talking about one of the most ridiculous talents this sport has ever seen. I refuse to call Marquez beaten in almost any given circumstance. He is landslide favourite for a reason, and I'd make the case that that was just as impressive a performance from Marquez around that track than Dovi was on Sunday, uh, given the context 
of the strength of their bikes and their talent going through that race itself. That, yeah. that, could, that could have been a race where any of them could have easily gotten unstuck, given how close it was. So It goes me, back to what we yeah. spoke about, for me, at the end of last season, about how Mark Marquez is perceived and how we really should be talking about how great Mark Marquez is and etc. to the positives. Because you know, why, should, why aren't we talking about, or why aren't MCN talking about how Mark Marquez actually lit up the last lap of that race and made it a real show? Mark Marquez says himself in MCN, um, says, I'm happy with how we finished with the podium and 20 points at one of the most difficult tracks for me in our Honda. Um, Dobby deserved the win because he was faster, but second place is like a victory for us, which is a very uh, striking mm. statement. Um, but this is the statement that I love from Mark Marquez. He says, I thought I had the win. I was able to break late, but Dobby always breaks later and was able to stop the bike better than me. I tried to be tighter than him, but he was faster than me. Either way, I think he would be able to overtake us before the line. But for the mm. show, I think it was a great move. How can you not love that? <laughs> How how can anyone dislike this man? He, he even had the entertainment thought in mind when going for that last yeah, he's, quarter. He sat there thinking these these two hundred people in Lasile have paid to see a motor race. I'm giving them one. <laughs> I'm going to give them a motorcycle race or crash trying. I love this man. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean. Even if Marquez Brock passes his way to the front, there is a good chance Dovi comes through the home straight and gets it. The Ducati is fast enough in a straight line where it can get a, a nose in front by the finish. Um, so, like I said, Marquez knew it was 0% if he follows him. Um, he knows that Dovi is a demonically late breaker um, by habit. That's arguably the strongest part of his game as a rider. He had to try something. It didn't quite work out on this occasion. But as, as Marquez said, in the context of Honda as a bike and their performances and their history on this circuit, second place, 200s off the win, they'll take that every single time. Probably more points than they thought they were going to leave Qatar with when they got on the plane there. Um, so, yeah, they'll take it. Uh, a solid, solid start for them. Um, and for Mar- Marquez, who uh, finished second uh, to Andrea Davizioso um, last weekend. Um, let's talk then about the man in third, uh, the man who, as we told you on last week's Moto2 and 3 preview, Valentino Rossi, who has signed a new two-year deal with Yamaha, in case you've been living under a rock and missed that news. Um, he's staying in the sport until the end of 2020 and showed last weekend that he's every bit as fast as he ever has been. Um, mm. And if you look at it in purely calendar terms and look at the circuits one by one and identify which bike goes well at which circuit, you'd probably think that third is below par for, for Yamaha um, and given that they've won the last three years there, won five of the last six there um, but given where their bike seems to be at at the moment, I think Valentino Rossi will probably, especially where he qualified, Dre probably take that He'll take it, every time, he'll take it I, I joked about this after qualifying it was not a good look that the satellite Yamahas were, uh, the satellite Yamaha Zarco on the 2016 Yamaha was a second faster than, than than the factory team from 2017 and 18 who's still trying to Frankenstein's monster this bike together. The joke I made was that Valentino Rossi would somehow find a way, get it together, and probably finish third on Sunday, and that's exactly what he did. Um, that's, yeah, that's I was saying, Valentino... yeah, Valentino Rossi will come through. He always comes through. He does. He just does. Like, he's just, like, I, I hate to borrow Keith you in here but he really is a Sunday man that's just what he is that's what he does that's how he carries himself that's that he's he's a race man he is not a qualifying specialist he never has been but in the race he as well 
yeah, exactly. Like his racecraft is still godly on occasion, and this and this was no exception. Next thing you know, you had Rossi leading the race at certain points. You had Rossi in the leading group all the way from start to finish. Only finished point eight off the win in the end. Um, just didn't quite have that seventh gear in him that Dovi and Marquez had um, on the last two or three laps to pull the pin. Um, just didn't quite happen for him on that one, but. Again, given how all over the place Yamaha looked pretty much all weekend long, given they were on the brink of being embarrassed by Johan Zarco, especially in qualifying, um, Rossi will take that third. Um, he knows that the championship's not going to be won today. He knows it'll be a, a slog, a battle throughout the rest of the season. Um, he's going to need to start winning a few more than just maybe one or two a year to really, I think, have a a real chance at the title. But you, you, you know, you can't. Given that Yamaha never really looked like they were the fastest bike out there on paper, I think third is a good overall result for Valentino and about as much as he could have realistically hoped for, especially given his poor qualifying session. Yeah, exactly. He had to come from eighth on the grid, which is where he uh, won from uh, back in 2015. Um, and I think on Dovi as well, that was probably the, the one way of beating Dovi was what the Yamahas did to him in the last three years, where they would overtake him at the start of the final lap and then gap him um, rather than try and do it at the end of the lap. Um, and Valentino Rossi did try and take the lead midway through the race, having run ahead of Davizioso for a long period of that race. And mm. he did quite well at one stage, didn't he? Because it looked as if after he after that botched attempt at passing Zarco down the main straight, it looked like the executive order was being carried out, didn't it? Um, where, he, it, it. where he went wide um, trying to pass Zarco to turn one. Marquez took him um, at the same same time as that. Then Davizioso quickly followed through and then a couple more tried to do the same. Um, and Valentino Rossi had a great analogy on that, um, where he said, um, I didn't want to overtake him, referring to Zarco as he led the race, um, but when you're in the slipstream, it's very difficult to control the bike under braking, and it ended with both of us going wide. It was then that Marquez and Dovi overtook us. I tried to fight back at them, but all the wolves behind started to growl as well, trying to take my arm. <laughs> which, was, which was a great analogy of what that yep. race was like um towards the front of the race but uh but yeah rossi managed to fend off i think it was petrucci and crutchlow were uh, the wolves in question uh, mm. held them off and then managed to eventually gap them to take third at the end of the race uh, which as i say is a solid result but perhaps not quite what yamaha would have hoped for before getting on the plane to qatar they'll have been looking to extend their incredible record in qatar um of victories uh, in recent years um and in terms of his teammate dre maverick Vinales, who finished 12th uh, or sorry qualified 12th finished 6th um, it, there's a case of is it glass half empty or glass half full with Maverick um, mm. because he in the race itself particularly until Dobby pulled the pin towards the end he was the fastest man on track he had the best race pace of anyone that backed up what we'd seen in FP4 where Vinales looked like he had the best race pace of anyone in the FP4 session um, but when you counter that with the fact that he'd been out of the top 10, he'd had to go through Q1. He qualified 12th and was as low as 13th on the opening lap of the race. Um, it's a case, really, of if you want to focus on the positives or the negatives with Vinales, isn't it? Which camp are you in? Well, I'm more in the glass half empty camp because that's not good enough for Maverick. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. No matter which way you slice it, sick on a Yamaha banker circuit like this one is not good enough and it it's it, it further adds to the baffling nature of yamaha right now like i said their race pace was excellent all weekend maverick mm. 
looked excellent in FP4. He was, he, he, but but had awful one lap pace. He, like he, he he had to go through the the hard way in Q1. He wasn't even faster in a session. Jack Miller was faster than him in that in that Q1 session. Yeah, and but, I thought once he once he got out of Q1, I thought, all right, panic over. Mavericks back on course again, and he qualifies twelfth. 12th a second off the top like that that's not good enough uh, especially when Zarko's on a 2016 Yamaha so that th- that was very confusing um I, I Maverick's race pace in the second half of, of the race was fantastic he was able to claw his way back up into sixth place clearly he left it too late because yeah. it could have easily been a podium if 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 he was maybe pushed five laps earlier or so but Maverick just bizarre in general really that he his race pace was so great, yet his ultimate pace was so slow, um, and it, he ended up just doing more damage to himself. If he starts that race on the front row, he probably wins it, uh, or at least certainly gives the front two a good go. Um, because good it, was, it was astonishing how he managed to jump across that what three and a half second gap that he had to jump yeah. across to get up to that leading group late in the race. I mean, how, how rarely do we see in MotoGP races someone come from that far back to catch a leading group like that? Um, it was incredible the pace he had, but as you say, it just came uh, way too late. And um, what was, I guess, what will also concern Maverick that even if the Yamaha does become a race-winning potential bike, he's not even nailed on to be the best within his own team anymore, uh, which he was for a lot of last season because he qualified, he was out qualified by Rossi and finished behind him. And when you look at preseason testing or look at free practice in Qatar, you have to say that had been coming. It had been coming. Um, no matter which race, it's been coming. It's like a, but yeah, like I said, as you said, it, it's it's a mess. Like, does anybody know how good Yamaha actually is right now? No. Anyone? Do, like, I don't even think they do. Like, like, it's like they're taking this literally session by session and are trying to figure out like just how fast or how slow they are trying to cover their weaknesses because apparently according to Mavericks camp they found some setup changes late in the day on 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 Sunday morning and it seemed to work out in the end um but they've been so up and down like ever since testing you could you could go back as far as to say that but like this is a Yamaha banker circuit they've won here the last three years they've won five out of the last like I think a good four out of the last six they've won here going back to Lorenzo as well when he was part of the Yamaha setup they always go well here and they got a third and a sixth that's not going to be good enough for a team thinking championship especially with Maverick who you'd think it would be the guy they want to lead the team going forward like he did last year so I don't know. It's a head scratcher, and I still don't. I still have no idea, like just how fast or slow this team actually is. No, it, no. it is a curious one for uh, for Star Yamaha, and yeah, I've got the uh, championship odds for uh, for this season in front of me, um, which uh, I'm going to mention in a moment when we talk about Jorge Lorenzo because his odds have uh, changed drastically. Um, oh, but really? It, but it but it gives us an, an indication of how the season might well uh, pan out, or how the perceptions of how the season is going to pan out. Um, have changed um, but we'll come on to that later when we talk about Lorenzo because he didn't finish the race in fourth place just off the podium um, was Cal Crutchlow on the LCR Honda and I mean he was the top independent rider but that is probably not an achievement that he necessarily wants he'd much rather have been in part for May on merit of being one of the top three um, yeah. and might well have thought after free practice and especially after the test there that he could have been in that top three uh, on race day but again for a Honda to finish fourth in Qatar is not a bad result at all. And Cal Crutchlow's record in Qatar is pretty loathsome. So he'll take it. 
it's 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 terrible. So to, for him to be on that Honda, which again is an independent, um, more by name than anything else, but still um, fourth place, two point eight off the win, just under the you know, two point eight off, off Marquez, who Crutchlow is is always the first guy to talk about just how terrifyingly quick Marquez is. Like we all don't know that already, um, but um, yeah, he'll take it. That I think that was a. I think he's a bit of a miserable old curmudgeon sometimes, Cal, but. I think he'd be silly not to acknowledge that that was a good result, especially given his pretty poor track record in Qatar over the years. It's it's a good start for Cal. That's about where he, he should be, um, or at least certainly thinking he should be, probably going into this season, given how important he's going to be, I think, as a role player for Honda in this year's championship. So he was right up there in the mix, in the leading group, pretty much all the way through the game, just broke off. Um, Dovi Marquez and Rossi just broke off towards the end there when they really started putting the hammer down. Crotra just didn't quite have the numbers for it. I think his tyre faded towards the end mm-hmm. um, of the race a little bit there. But 2.8 off the win is, is is nothing to be ashamed of. That's a very good performance from Cal. And I think he'll take that fourth going to... Again, he's good around Argentina. He's had podiums yeah, there. It's one of his stronger circuits on the calendar. He, Two of the last yes, three years he's been on the last that. there. So, uh, yeah, encouragement for Crutchlow heading into, along with Silverstone, perhaps his, his strongest circuit. Uh, on the calendar coming up next um fifth place in the grand prix went to danilo petrucci and um another interesting mcn headline um but this one is more accurate because it's come from the horse's mouth itself it says petrucci targets lorenzo uh in that daniel petrucci has um basically made no secret of the fact in public that he wants to be a factory rider next season and he hasn't ruled out being a factory rider at ducati um next year um and it's fair to say Drake, he was a class above lorenzo all weekend we'll talk about jorge in a moment but it's a measure of how lofty Petrucci's aspirations were last weekend that he was unhappy with fifth. If you'd have said to me this time last year that Petrucci would be disappointed by being finishing fifth in the dry, 3.8 seconds off the victory, I think I'd have slapped you around the back of the head and said, are you mental? Um, like, it just goes to show you that in the last year, just how far they know Petrucci has come as a rider and just the amount of confidence he seems to have in himself now that fifth and only a handful of seconds off the top is now a bad day at the office for Danilo Petrucci. Um, and I think mostly because his race pace looked fantastic in practice. He looked very, very fast. And it's easy to forget he is on a GP18. You know, he is on, you know, essentially the same bike as the factory team. So there is no better margin or basically comparison than Jorge Lorenzo, who was the disappointing one on the other factory um, Ducati so far this year. So that's the yardstick. And when people that know silly season, like David Emmett will tell you that Ducati have an option by Mugello to replace Lorenzo with him. If the option comes up and well, but then it was already got an 11 point advantage over Lorenzo because Lorenzo failed to see the finish. It helps. Just saying. It does. it does. And as you say, in free practice, Petrucci's race pace and at the test uh, in Qatar were comparable with anybody in the field. He looked like he had genuine race leading pace. Um, and, you know, the result just backs that up. He finished in the leading group uh, at the end. But, yeah, he felt that the only two guys that he was going to have trouble beating were Dovia Marquez. Uh, in the Grand Prix, and yeah, yeah, he said he said after the race, I thought that maybe Mark and Dovi had a little bit more than me, just one percent, because Dovi has more experience and Mark has more madness, or maybe Markness, which is a brilliant <laughs> quote from Petrucci. Um, he says, I thought that there was one more space on the podium for me, but I didn't consider Rossi, who was always there. 
Um, so, uh, so yeah, um, rookie no one, mistake, Danilo. Rookie yeah, mistake. No one analyzes a race or a session better than Danilo Petrucci. He's always good for a soundbite, isn't he? Um, mm. After the Grand Prix. But but as far as Lorenzo goes, I mean, we have to give him a bit of a pass for the crash that cost him his place in the race because he had a brake failure. Um, oh, so awesome. um, so not his fault. He, he said that he basically was going into turn four and he was heading towards the wall and had no brakes, so he had to jump off. Um, the bike, um, which is not ideal. But yeah, I mentioned earlier on um, the title odds for this season. Um, Jorge Lorenzo pre-season was the second favourite to Mark Marquez. I, mean, I don't know if you remember off the top of your head, Dre, what his, what his odds were. 5-1, um, to one, I believe. 5-1 to one he was. He's now slipped to 14-1. to one, Yikes. Um, based on one race. He's now fifth favourite behind Marquez, Davizioso, Rossi and Vinales in that order. Um, Mar- Marquez is now 13-8 to eight on. Dobby's 11-4. to four. Rossi fifteen to two, and Maverick Vinales is twelve to one um, to win the championship. I think twelve to one Vinales to win the world championship um, based on last weekend. That's um, nuts. Which is nuts. Um, that might be the good time. If you think he's going to turn the corner, that might be a good time to um, chuck a bit of money <laughs> on Maverick. Um, but um, but no, as far as Lorenzo goes, um, we probably well many people went into this season thinking he's got a year on that bike now. He's now going to assert himself in that team. He's going to show everyone just how good he is. Uh, he thought, I think, the same after this Apang test where he was sensational, but it was kind of more of the same, wasn't it, Dre? He wasn't in Dovey's league all weekend. Nope. Um, yeah, the crash was unfortunate. Um, the brake failure didn't help anybody there. That but was, was just... Around... Ninth place. Even so, like, ninth when your teammates win in the Grand Prix on the same bike. Um, if for the record, Ian Oni, who actually finished in ninth, was 13 seconds off the victory. So you call it half a second a lap on average, and uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out. That's not good. Um, and that is not good enough for a guy who you're paying $12 million a year to, to when that the intention was to lead your team. It's just further cementing that it's Dovey's team now by, by any and all accounts. And like the way it's going, like Lorenzo could be out the door by mid-season. And... He, 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 like, and I know this this crash of his was unlucky, but at the same time, he never looked like he was going to challenge Dovi at all over the course of the weekend. He lo- he looked like he was second rate pretty much all the way through. Um, Lorenzo needs to find improvement and quickly because people are going to start talking if, if this keeps up for much longer. That's that's not good enough from Lorenzo, and he needs better. <laughs> and next up is Argentina, a circuit where his record is appalling. Um, so um, yeah, concern for uh, for Jorge Lorenzo coming up um, in Argentina. Yeah, he needs to um, pick his season up quickly because he didn't really get going last season until he turned up at Jerez for round four. Um, and yeah, his record in Cota isn't particularly great either. But mind you, no, neither is anybody's unless your name is Mark Marquez. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, so Jorge Lorenzo's season still really yet to get going, not just in terms of his points tally, but really um, he wasn't really in his teammates' league at any stage last weekend, which will be a concern. Uh, to him. Um, in the end, then, it finished like this, with Davizioso the winner from Marquez and Rossi, Crutchlow fourth, Petrucci fifth, and Vinales sixth. Danny Pedroza was seventh on the second Repsol Honda, third factory Honda to finish. And then we have the pole man, Joan Zarco, uh, who set the fastest ever two-wheeled lap of the Los Angeles International Circuit on the Saturday evening um, with an astonishing pole lap. What was it? 153.8 he did on uh, on this Saturday night. Um, yeah. Extraordinary pace. Sorry, 53 um, 6, I should 53-6, say. 53-6 um, from, from Zarko. Yeah, his, his two nearest contenders were on a 53 8, because they were all under the original pole record. Um, and he led for 16 out of the 22 laps. I mean, 
Another tremendous weekend, Dre, for Zarko. Uh, a weekend that eighth place doesn't really do justice. No, it doesn't. That that was harsh, but it, it's it's. I think it's the unfortunate nature of Zarko, the Tech Three team, and the situation he's on that he has to run the soft tire to realistically have a chance of winning the race. Um, and and. <laughs> And he said he ran out of tyres with six to go. He ran out of tyre again. And we, we've seen this story before from Zarko where he's had to run soft. He's fantastic at making those tyres work. It's just, at the moment, they're just not durable enough to make it work. Um, he, and it's a shame because I, I think that's the only way he has a chance of winning at the moment. Um, so it's unfortunate. It's a double-edged sword of what Zarko has to do, but it doesn't make his performance any less impressive. He again leading sixteen laps around there is tough. Um, he comfortable at the front yet again. The guy is every bit as alien as, as the top six that are around him at the moment. He is super fast. He's doing fantastic work on that on that Yamaha. That first win is coming. It, it, it I think oh, it will happen at some. I think it will happen at some point in this season. He's gonna get the right circumstances that will lead to his first victory. I'm dead certain of it. Yeah, I, I am too. I think it's a matter of time. And yeah, eighth place in the end was his, his outright result. He finished in the end um, seven seconds off the win, which just illustrates how much he faded. Considering he led with six to go, he essentially faded at a second a lap um, when his, uh, his softer tyres um, essentially ran out of grip uh, towards the end of the Grand Prix, um, which was a shame. You kind of feel that he deserved better uh, from that race weekend, but it just shows just how competitive... Um, the field is now. Uh, Andre Inoni was ninth on the sole Suzuki to finish, but with all due respect to Crazy Joe, the maniac, we're going to talk about his teammate um, because I really want to talk about Alex Rins, who did not finish. He crashed out of the leading group uh, midway through the race. He crashed on the same lap as Lorenzo did, but for very different reasons. Rins mm. essentially crashing at the same spot that Zarco did a year ago um, at turn two. Um, but even though Dre... Alex Rins left Qatar with no points at all. He kind of made his point, didn't he? He did. Um, again, very strong all weekend long. It's a shame he didn't have any points to show for it, but uh, very impressive performance from Alex Rins all weekend long. I reckon he would have been in that leading group for sure on that Suzuki. Um, you know, he never really looked like he was. He was never in that leading group, really. He drifted off towards the end. He was the best of the rest, really, in that ninth spot. Kind of and a this is a, you know, in a circuit historically. Yeah, like I said, he he was he he's crashed out multiple times in leading groups around this track in twenty in twenty sixteen in Ducati he crashed from second place and in twenty seventeen he crashed from second place when he hit the back of Marquez's rear tire and crashed. As Keithian will always tell you, front tire versus <laughs> rear tire, the front tire will always lose. Um, and yeah, like Ian only tends to run well here as well. So for Rins to outclass him on the same bike, very impressive performance indeed. Just a shame that there was no points at the end for it, but statement made from Rins. Yeah, he, looks like, he looks like a grid. stud. Sixth <laughs> on the grid for Alex Rins on that Suzuki yeah. last weekend. And uh, yeah, there's not just Alex Rins, but Suzuki as a whole look like they've made their point. They look like they're right back in the game this year. Um, as they were in 2016. I think they're going to have race weekends and circuits where that bike is going to be a real weapon uh, as well. So we look forward to seeing what Rins can do on that um, this year. He looks like he's going to be, uh, as many thought, the dark horse of this season. Um, completing the top 10 then was Jack Miller on the Pramit Ducati, which perhaps some might have expected better from him um, last weekend. 11th was Tito Rabat on another of the uh, satellite Ducatis. And then we find the first of the rookies, Franco Morbidelli in 12th. Um, very quietly, as you said pre-show, Dre, very quietly had a very impressive weekend, the Moto2 champion. 
Yep, top rookie. I, I totally didn't have the mute button <laughs> on there for a second. I, I, I very nearly missed out there. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning. But um, yeah, Frankie Morbidelli, very strong performance indeed. Very, very, very quiet um, rookie performance, um, but did the business there. 16 seconds off the win in your first MotoGP race on a notoriously difficult to ride Mark VDS Honda. I think is very impressive indeed. Um, again, like there was a lot of hype around other rookies in the field. I mean, and, and we, I think we were a little bit glowing of Effie Siren, and rightly so for different reasons. But Morbidelli, only one—I mean, only one second or so behind Tito Rabat, who was on that same bike last year. You could argue he's on a better bike now um, with the Avincia team. And again, he was right in the mix um, for top ten. Seconds off the winner. Six seconds off the winner. And only 1.7 off a top 10 finish. Can't ask for much more than that in your first ever MotoGP race. Um, and a glorified midfield, uh, midfielder on a bike that's notoriously difficult to ride. Um, you know. So, Morbidelli, very impressive indeed. And I think once he's on a bike that's a little bit more comfortable with him, I think he'll be right up there make, uh, making threats. The guy looks very talented indeed, but again, you kind of already knew that if you watched him last year. Mm, absolutely, <laughs> and you mentioned Siren, and we, we, we have to mention him because of the, the circumstances leading up to his MotoGP debut. He's um, about as unprepared as, as you could be for a MotoGP debut season in that he only had a one and a half tests leading up to it. Um, and... To qu- he was the second of them in qualifying. Qualified on the fifth row of the grid, um, which is sensational. 15th on the grid for Siren. He finished a place higher in 14th, so he takes points from his debut MotoGP weekend. Just 20 seconds off the race winner. Finished ahead of the likes of Abraham, Luti, Nakagami, all the rookies. Um, Bradley Smith, Alicia Spargro, Scott Redding. Um, and then there were three or four non-finishers behind that. Um, but an, an astonishing first weekend, given how unprepared he was going into the race weekend. And you just had to look at Poncherel's face after Q1. How happy he was with Siren's qualifying result to be 14th on the grid. I just spoke yeah. volumes about how good a job that kid did. Thumbs up all around. Hervé was delighted with that. And you, you could see it meant a lot to him. And it meant a lot to Siren and the team. They've, they've got behind him from day one. And he's been fantastic. That was an awesome weekend for Mafi Siren. Again, he only was only riding that bike for the first time two months ago. And... He's turned it into points and, you know, a top top 15 pole and win. Uh, sorry, sorry, top 15 pole and race result, basically. And, uh, and first time out there as a rookie gets two points for 14th place, only 20 seconds off the victory. Uh, again, you couldn't ask no more of a even less experienced rookie um, in the field there. A, a great, great performance in Miffy Siren. And he's, he's had every obstacle thrown in his way so far and he's come out of it looking better and better every single time and again Hervé Pontaras face as you said summed it up beautifully he he was delighted for him and I, and I, and I was too that was a very impressive performance mm, and he already looks like he belongs in the class now doesn't he he already looks Absolutely. like a MotoGP rider which is probably the best compliment you could pay him um, and as I heard on commentary over the weekend as well he's the kind of guy now now that he already looks like he belongs in the class I can't wait to see him when we get a wet MotoGP race um, what, what he could do um, he could be a real shock um, so we look forward to uh, to seeing how that unfolds as the year goes on uh, we've kind of already given you the result but uh, this of course is mirrored by the championship standings so let's give you those Davizioso leads the championship um, for the first time since he lost it at Mizano last year 25 points for him 5 clear of Marquez um, on 20 Rossi on 16 in 3rd Crutchlow has 13 in 4th 
Petrucci has 11 in fifth. And then the rest of the point scorers go from 10 down to 1 with Vinales on 10. Ahead of Pedroza, Zarco, Yanoni, Miller, Rabat, Morbidelli, Bautista, Siren, and Carol Abraham who has one World Championship point in 15th. Ducati lead the Manufacturers' Championship with 25 points, five clear of Honda and nine clear of Yamaha. Uh, Suzuki a fourth on nine points. KTM a fifth, despite a pretty uh, rotten first weekend for them. They still beat the Aprilias to the flag, uh, with Bradley Smith finishing one spot ahead of Alessio Spargro Aprilia, as they were at the end of last year, bottom of the Manufacturers' Championship. Again, is he mean to go on, as they say? He <laughs> did. To Moto2 then, um, and the intermediate class, which doesn't always provide us with the most exciting of racing, but this one kind of delivered. It gave us a tense battle to the flag um, between a couple of riders who perhaps we wouldn't have expected, certainly one of them really wouldn't have expected to be fighting for a race victory uh, on the opening round of the season. The battle came down to two Italians, uh, Francesco Bagnaia and Lorenzo Baldassari, and uh, Bagnaia Dre, who many of particularly many riders who are racing against him, have tipped him as a real championship favourite for this season. Uh, they mm. were instantly proven right. I've always said, like, the GP bosses, according to people in the back, have been gushing over Banyaya for quite some time. <laughs> and to um, why, though, isn't it? Yeah, justified in every capacity. That was a fantastic win for Banyaya. Um, like, he, he looked like he'd been out there before, and he, he'd led multiple races in his career. Um, which he hasn't. He's been the scrappiest scrapper on the Mahindra for quite some time, and he, he made that. He made that look very comfortable. Um, was had no problem leading from the front. Um, held off Baldessari very well towards the end there in the Italian civil war that we had in that one. Um, but yeah, like I said, the, the the hype is justified. The man looks real, and he he, he rode that race super superbly well. Um, did exactly what he needed to do to get the win. Um, judged it to perfection. Can't argue for any more than that. Very, very strong performance indeed. Um, and yeah, like like I said, like get get excited. I mean, this guy, we all know he's going to be MotoGP next year. And if, if this result was anything to go by, then we, we've got another supreme talent from Italy coming up yeah, through the field. He's heading to, uh, to Pramac Ducati next season in MotoGP, <laughs> replacing Danilo Petrucci alongside Jack Miller at that team. Um, but yeah, led pretty much the entire Grand Prix, didn't he? Even though he never led it by much. Um, he I, was always out front and you, you always kind of wonder when you're seeing races and you're seeing guys running second just like a tenth behind the leader you're kind of waiting for them to pounce but the, that moment never came Banyaya just always had it covered off um, even when Baldassari put that kind of Hail Mary move on him two corners out Banyaya just coolly much like Dovi did in the race moments later just had the answer just coolly took the lead back again and just held it to the flag and um, a terrifically judged victory um, from Francesco Bonaglia, who, of course, is now the early Moto2 uh, championship leader. Um, and the man he beat, for, for Lorenzo Baldassari, we've got it in the running order as uh, Baldassari, a close, and in brackets, surprising, question mark, second. And was it a surprise? I mean, the way the weekend went, Dre, it probably wasn't a surprise, but before the weekend ever started, I don't think we had Fran uh, Lorenzo Baldassari as one of the favourites for victory um, last weekend, but qualified on the front row, finished second. I mean... I guess we 
we should now be looking at Baldassari in the context of that brilliant 2016 he had, where because he won a Grand Prix at this level, mm. the Alex Rins to do so. I almost forget how he kind of took a year off last year. He looks like 2016 Baldassari again, doesn't he? Yeah, that's a good sign, definitely. As you said, like we didn't really talk about him in that sort of discussion about title threats and race wins of Lorenzo Baldassari last week on our season preview, but that weekend he showed up like he, he it wasn't just a fluke in the race he, he looked fast in practice he was the only guy to top a session before the race that wasn't alex marquez um looked very very fast indeed and as you say it, it was almost a year off for him given that he was on a team that was never really there to compete at the highest level yeah, uh, yeah indeed and but but pons is a proper outfit pons has a knack of getting good results out of its riders and that was a very, very good performance from Lorenzo. Again, nice to see him back to something like his 2016 best on the number seven. Um, that was that was a very, very good performance. Again, those two comfortably clear of everybody else on that one. And, and again, there's some, there's some big names Lorenzo finished in front of here today. Um, so, yeah, he'll take that. That was a great result for him. A, a wonderful podium. He was delighted in the post-race press conference um to finish in second so i don't think he had any sort of clue that he was going to finish in second but um he made it work brilliantly so yeah great performance from lorenzo yeah starting with big names there's no bigger name arguably in this class than marquez and uh, it was alex marquez who finished in third place having taken a brilliant pole position uh, on the saturday he absolutely crushed them in qualifying um to take that pole position um and in the curious conditions that we had in moto 2 of the uh, twilight to dusk uh, tonight finish where it started mm. daylight finished in night time uh, really Moto2 didn't have to get the short straw with the uh, new schedule um, that MotoGP employed for the Premier Class this weekend um, Alex Marquez looked for a lot of that race like he was almost waiting for his moment to strike looked like he had it very much under control um, having lost the lead at the start to Banyaya and he was battling over second place with Lorenzo Baldassari and there have been many times during the past where Alex Marquez has failed to convert a good position into a race win, and we've been critical of him, rightly so. But I think this is one occasion where we have a great deal of sympathy for Alex Marquez because we never really will find out just how much pace he had of his sleeve because his rear brake caught fire. That kid cannot catch a break. I mean, hold, well, in this case, keep one cool anyway. But, uh, yeah, that that was horrendous luck from Alex Marquez there. Again, he had led every single session, bar one, going into the race weekend itself. Looked super fast out there. Um, qualified comfortably on pole position. Not the best start in the world, but he was comfortable in that leading group going forward. It all looked like it was all going to come up roses for him until the brake catches fire, and he had to be limped back to third. He, he still salvaged a solid third place in the end, all things considered, but that will be a big tall glass of what could have been with Alex Marquez. Stop me if you've heard that one before. But um, a, a, a good third place, but he'll, he'll be a little bit sad about the fact it could have it could have easily been more on a better day. Yeah, his rear brake essentially jammed uh, when we saw it glowing orange um, towards the end of that race. And uh, yeah, obviously for the rest of the race, he was essentially having to ride purely using the front brake, um, which accounted for his... Uh, lack of pace because he went off track and looked at one stage might he, like he might have to retire and under those circumstances kind of did a miraculous job to still finish on the podium um, in third place and that's kind of I think what Alex Marquez has got to do if he wants to win this world championship I mean we saw his bad days last year ended in crashes um, he's got to have this mindset this year of when when there's a bad day just get your points and get out of there and to, mm. get, to get out of there with 16 points is yeah, it's not what he went for, and given the pace he had, it's probably less than he would have 
probably achieved, all things being equal. But 16 points ain't a bad start to your season if you're looking at the championship. It's more than a lot of his title potential title challenges left Qatar with, particularly if they were riding it- KTMs. Yeah, indeed, and he's still title favourite with the bookies as we speak. So yeah, like 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 yeah, they've seen it. Uh, they'll to, take uh, it to keep him as the title favourite. Absolutely. So uh, so yeah, Alex Marquez, third, sixteen points, third in the championship. Not bad, but perhaps not as good as he was hoping for. But he, he'll probably in the cold light of day when he looks back on it be uh, happy with the points he's got. Um, ahead of him, or just behind him, sorry, was Matteo Pasini leading a Calix one two three four with Pasini, the perennial pole man of last year and front running contender. Once he got that win at Mugello, keeping that form going into this season. So he's just uh, emphasised what we said last week, that he's going to remain a contender towards the front of races this year. Um, but when we look at the riders who finished directly behind him, Dre, uh, in fifth and sixth, it, it begs the question, the obvious question from last weekend, what on earth happened to the KTMs? Good question. Um, when I come up with a decent answer for you, I'll let you know. Yeah. Um that was a bizarre one. Um, they never looked like they were going to win this Grand Prix at any point in, in the entire weekend. Apparently, yeah, and Oliveira had a terrible start. Oliveira had a terrible start. Claw his way back up to a pretty solid fifth place, all told, in the end. Binder, I, I, I saw Binder on, I think, on Tuesday say that the, the bike did not suit the really hot conditions out there. Um, yeah, they, they did say that, that they had cooling problems. Yeah, they had cooling problems pretty much all weekend long. They struggled with the bike overheating. It just didn't quite work for him where that was concerned. And they'll be they'll be they'll be better on other circuits. I mean, Oliveira, second race out of the box, was riding with the leaders last year in Argentina. I think Oliveira will be much stronger in Argentina. So keep half an eye on that one. That's my pick for for next weekend already. But they'll. It, it was a bit disappointing. I mean, ten seconds off the win isn't a good look, especially given the the, the hot streak that Oliveira had to end last season but not a disaster to finish fifth and sixth they'll they'll be better down the road yeah they'll uh they'll just uh, again like marcus take their points and move on and it was it was a contrasting race really for the two ktm riders so certainly from where they started Oliveira fifth from fourth on the grid brad binder sixth from 13th on the grid um had a pretty poor qualifying all told even though he was only a second off pole um, but that lead, like, leaves you 13th on the grid in the intermediate class, and he came through to score um, some very strong points. And um, you know, I've had him for a long time as sort of my dark horse pick for this season. And uh, yeah, to be right alongside, to basically match Oliveira in the race and finish a, a hundredth of a second behind him in the race, um, I'm, I'm sticking by that. I think he's going to be very, very good this year. He looks like he's every bit as quick in race trim. Uh, as his teammate is. Um, mm. The other KTMs had poor race weekends in the end with um, only one of the other scoring points. That was Donny Kegata, and he literally only scored the one point um, in the end, scraping home in 15th. Sam Lowe's, though, um, a curious weekend. I mean, when you looked at Sam Lowe's pre-qualifying, we were thinking this is a guy who might well be somewhere near the front row of the grid. Qualified, in, uh, crashed in qualifying and ended up 10th, and then crashed again in the race, um, which, which is very Sam Lowe's. Um, but the, the crash at the end wasn't really his fault. Um, a gearbox problem caused that one. But even Sodre, he wasn't really in that. He wasn't even in that second group, was he? With Oliveira and Binder, he was in the third group with the likes of Joan Mir and Luca Marini um, in midway through the race because he had an even worse start than Oliveira did. He was outside the points after lap one, and it, mm. it, it just reminds me of the comment from Sam Lowe's pre-race. I think he said it in the BT Sports season preview where he said that. Um, you know, the championship's going to be decided on people's bad days and making sure that you still leave races with points when you're having your bad days. And Sam Lowe's has had a bad day and left with nothing. 
Yeah, um, not the start that Sam would have hoped for. Um, again, Sam at no point looked like he was running with top-tier pace the entire weekend. It was looking like, even if the bike was perfectly fine, maybe bottom of the top 10 at best, yeah. like pretty much all weekend, I think. I think it would have been minor points, no matter which way they would have sliced it. That KTM did not look particularly fast, not as fast as people hoped for maybe it'll become maybe it'll come down to the same issues the factory ktm team had hmm. and they'll be stronger down the road at some point we'll have to wait and see but um sam unfortunate brake failure i don't think it actually cost them all that much in because i don't think they would have ran that high up Six, in the end anyway. points it probably cost him didn't it yeah yeah, yeah you, might, you might be right in terms of sam loves that does some particularly you, Stefan, if you're listening, uh, are pretty keen to uh, to stick the boot in on Sam Lowe's whenever it goes wrong for him. Um, but um, yeah, th this one might just, when we look back on it later in the season, just go down as well. Yeah, that was pretty much a wash for the KTMs, that one. So they all had a pretty poor time of it. Um, so that might well explain that one um, from Sam Lowe's point of view. Um, the rookies, though, had, um, in their own ways, pretty impressive race weekends. Um, they were quick at different times, um, it has to be said. Romano Fanati was sensational on Friday and Saturday before going missing in the race. Joan Mir, kind of the opposite, qualified down in 24th position, um, yet came through to finish 11th and finished the highest of the rookies and scored five points. Um, I think both Dre, neither of them quite put a full race weekend together, but both Fanati and Mir pretty much served as notice that they're going to be just fine at this level. Looks that way. Fanati was ultra comfortable. His qualifying was sensational to put it on road two like that. Looked very, very fast. Fell apart in the race. I mean, I did not think Fanati would fall all the way down to 24th and and uh, 44 seconds off the race Must winning the problem, end. Surely. surely some sort of technical error has not been publicised. Um, I hope I hope it was that. I, I, I don't think like. Fanati would be two seconds a lap slower than everybody else all of a sudden. That would have been very surprising given how good his qualifying pace was. Joe Amir, very impressive. Remember, he's still nursing that, that motocross injury from yeah. um, from preseason. You know, he's, he, he didn't have great overall pace in qualifying. Qualified, I think, down on row seven, but clawed his way back up to 11th place. and um, It was a little bit in no man's land towards him, but he was seven seconds ahead of, of 12th place finisher Remy Gardner. Um, he was again. He, he was thirty seconds back. Mir, well, like he, he ran as well as as he had all weekend in the race. He's like he's like he just got better and better as the sessions had gone on. And I think Mir will only get better as time goes on. Of course, given the situation, given his injury, um, all in that wasn't bad at all from Mir. And I think there's a lot more to come. Yeah, just uh, checking Fanati's official Twitter at Romano Fanati. Uh, he says, I started well, I was fourth after the first corner, but I felt immediately the tyre slipping and I lost positions. There was nothing to do. It was slipping everywhere. I'm disappointed at the times, or as the times I got in the first past two days were good, and I was not able to do the same in the race. So there you go. Tyre hey. problems um, for Fanati that caused him to drop all the way down to 24th. Um, and one other rookie that we'll quickly mention um, in passing, uh, Boat Ben Schneider, who was uh, 18th in the end. Um, just outside the point. So, um, solid start for him on the Tech 3 Mistral as well. Um, mm -hmm. His Moto 2 debut. The result overall then was as follows. Um, and it's mirrored in the championship standings. Banyaya, the winner. So, he leads the championship on 25 points from Baldassari on 20. Marquez rounded out the podium. So, he has 16. Pacini's fourth in the championship ahead of Oliveira and Binder with the two Dynavolt Calixes of Schrotter and Vieje, seventh and eighth. Luca Marini capping off a great day for VR46, who had the race winner and. 
uh, were manager of the Manu finished second in Baldassari. Uh, so great deal to for them with Marini in ninth. And Jorge Navarro, who was a rookie last year, um, so perhaps we, should be, uh, we shouldn't be overlooking him for a good year this year too. Uh, he finished 10th, just ahead of Mir with Remy Gardner, the first of the Tech 3s in 12th. Hector Barbara, just um, backing up what we said last week, that dropping from MotoGP to Moto2 may not be as easy as it sounds. Um, he finished down in 13th, ahead of Simone Corsi and Dominic Egeter, who took the final point. Uh, right, Moto3, and the chaos that always uh, we always get in Moto3, it wasn't quite as chaotic as perhaps we were hoping. Um, certainly not at the front anyway. The, uh, the chaos mainly came from third backwards uh, in the Moto3 race last weekend. Um, what we got in the end was a battle, a straight fight between Dre and I's title picks, um, Jorge Martin and Aaron Cadet. And as you could probably imagine by the clapping in the background, it was Dre's pick that got the W in the end, um, albeit only by 23 thousandths of a second. Um, it counts. <laughs> but it went to Jorge Martin in the end. Back-to-back -back victories, we should say, um, given that he did win the final race of last season. Um, in the uh, season finale at Valencia. I mean, kind of supports the theory that we kind of had with uh, Miguel Oliveira in Moto3 that once he wins one, he's going to win a few. Uh, Jorge Martín, Dre, looks like he's going to be a very similar case. Yeah, that was a very impressive, controlling performance from Martin. You, you, like especially with the bravery of being ahead for the vast majority of the closing period of that race, holding off Canet Slipstream as well. Martin was very good out there, very, very good. Um, like again, danced like he'd been there before. Um, yeah, yeah, Canet all over him in in the latter stages of that race and. Did not buckle, not once. Um, very, very impressive indeed. Those two were in a different postcode to the rest of you. Lorenzo Della Porta in third, who won the, the group scrap in, in the end, was six and a half seconds further back down the road. Those two were in a league of their own, and it showed, and they had a fantastic fight. Uh, Martin just getting the better on this one as well, but I, I don't think Canet will be too upset with second place. I think that was a, a, a very impressive performance from the pair of them. Canet just didn't have an answer for Martin on the day. His time will come, I'm sure. Yeah, well, and uh, I mean, I have to say, from uh, about three laps in, I thought Martin was just going to check out and do a Danny Kent on the wall. Uh, I have mm. to say, because he made that great start, and he qualifying doesn't really tell the story. I mean, we'll talk about the pole man a bit later, but um, Nicola Antonelli took pole position by three thousandths of a second from Jorge Martin, uh, even though Antonelli gained six tenths because of a toe in the final sector. And still, As you do. And still only took pole by three thousandths from Jorge Martin, who was running on his own uh, at the end of that qualifying <laughs> session. Um, so Amazing. kind of, kind of a, a muddy picture really on that qualifying session. Doesn't quite tell the story of who was the fastest in that session. Um, but yeah, Nicolo Antonelli made it to that final sector and had Tony Arbolino punching a big hole in the final straight for him um, and it took helped. pole position as a result. Um, but yeah, it was clear that Jorge Martin had the better pace in that session and then got the whole shot and pulled out a one-second lead early on uh, as they were all fighting behind him. Canet had to come from the third row of the grid, let's not forget, um, mm. to get into that group and finish second. And as, as you say... Decent enough start for, for Canet, who finishes second, 20 points, and has to make sure he does that. If he's not going to win races, he needs to not chuck it at the scenery like he did a few times last season, notably in Kota. So, uh, yeah, to get out of there with 20 points is uh, is not a bad result at all. Um, they really should have been joined in that battle for the front by Enea Bastianini, who, along with Martin and Canet, have been the class of the field in preseason testing and through most of the Qatar weekend. Um, and you can't necessarily talk down a guy's title chances after one race weekend, Dre, but if these three are going to be the class of the field on a regular basis this season, um, those might be 16 uh, rather important points that Bastianini took away. Yeah, spot because on. Because if he'd I mean... stayed on the bike, he'd have been third at worst. 
yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? Um, probably third at worst, and that's an easy 16 points. Um, if if this is going to be a trend for the year where Martin and Canet are going to pull away from the rest, because I think in terms of quality, we did point out that those that though the other two in though in that elite three could break off on, on, on a few occasions and have their own little race or, or fight for the major points. If that happens, that 16 points is going to be a lot harder to make up. It, it'll be easier if the field beat each other up a little bit and it's a bit more unpredictable. Mm. But if Martin and Canet are at the front consistently, then that's going to be a hard deficit to make up. Yeah, he's probably going to have um, to win three or four in a row to get that back. Yeah, like and that's, that's going to be a problem because looking at it now, it looks like Martin and Canet were a, were a cut above. It looked like Bastianini is in that is in that group in terms of sheer pace, but made a silly mistake on his own out there and just dropped the front and down it went. And very uncharacteristic mistake from an A Bastianini, and um, a real shame given that he comfortably had race, you know, race leading level pace. Just uh, chucked it up, just chucked it up the ceiling. Unfortunately, yeah, strange because we've we've all had our criticisms of Bastianini, and there are obvious criticisms that you can level have him, but. Um, being a crasher isn't necessarily one of them. Um, you know, he's not known as a, as a rider like perhaps one of his compatriots who we'll talk about shortly, um, the pole man who has a habit of crashing. Um, bashing is not really that kind of rider. He tends to, you know, he tends to rather than crash, he tends to just finish um, way too low down on pure pace than rather than than crashing in races. So yeah, strange that Bastianini did that in the opening race of the season. But um, we're sure that he'll no doubt. Um, recover as the season goes on because he appears to have some very, very strong pace underneath him. Um, it was a bit of sweet race in the end for Leopard because his teammate came through to nab the final podium spot. Um, and just to emphasize, Dre, how uh, unpredictable and chaotic Moto3 is, a rider who we didn't talk about at all in our preseason preview, Lorenzo Della Porta, came through to take it. Law of averages, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's always someone we don't talk about that ends up surprising people. Yep, Lorenzo Della Porta, we forget, is a pretty solid rider, all told. And Former we, junior like, world champion. Yeah, it's like we forget he's a damn good rider and junior world champion. And bless him, he was the happiest man in the world when he got that third place. <laughs> and he was for the guys after the race. He said he was so happy he could barely even speak. Just finishing third. God bless him. Uh, what a humble guy. But um, yeah, he ended up getting the scrap award for winning the God, what, let's call it 12-13 bike scrap for the for the final spot on the podium. Narrowly beating Antonelli over the line by a bike length. Um, and Gabriel Rodrigo in fifth place. But uh, great ride from Dalla Porta. Uh, make the best of a not ideal situation by winning that group scrap. That wouldn't that couldn't have been easy because they were they were shuffling around pretty much at every corner by mm. the final lap of. So came out on top and timed it well. Great performance from him. Mm, yeah, strong start to the season for for Dalla Porta. Um, just ahead of Nicolo Antonelli, who Dre mentioned finished fourth from the pole position. And uh, of course, Antonelli's a former winner at this circuit. He won there. Uh, uh, two years ago, um, and I, I think a result that I think most people, most neutrals in the paddock, will be quite happy with because it's it's well documented. He had a terrible season of it in 2017. I think the, just the pressure of riding for the champion team of Red Bull KTM IO and being many people's preseason favourite uh, and following in the footsteps of guys like Miller and Salom and Binder Oliveira. Um, and, and the likes who've won Grand Prix and Cortese, of course, a former champion with that team, who've all gone into that Moto3 team and immediately been transformed into regular winners. Um, I think that just weighed too heavily on Antonelli, who struggled with it last year. Mm. It appears, and many people said this over the winter, that he's going to be in a team with that Simoncelli 58 team we run by Paolo Simoncelli. That might well be the right environment for Nicola Antonelli, and the initial evidence seems to be correct. 
I mean, pole position in a fourth place is is there's no shame in that. That's that's the Antonetti of old um, from a couple of years ago. Um, that that is a much much stronger performance from Antonetti, and I think he needed something like that. And I hope the fresh start for him with a very supportive team boss in in the Simoncelli family and in the in the, the spirit of the team in there is a. It was lovely to see them running up the front right away. Um, and again, I guess I had a very strong performance from, from Niccolo and the team. I mean, if, if you're qualifying on pole position in your first race like that, then you, you, you've got, you, you're going on the right path and they've got an Antonelli is a race winning level rider, a guy that, you know, would be a good outside outside championship contender. That's a damn good guy to have in a field that let's be honest, is probably a little bit weaker than it was a lot of the last couple of years in Moto3. Um, it, it's, it's an ideal time for Antonelli to find himself again. It is like he's doing just that if the evidence of the opening weekend is anything to go by. So hopefully the start of, of more to come from Antonelli. Yeah, strong start for him. You'll have noticed if you follow Moto3 particularly closely, you'll have noticed that every rider we've discussed so far in this Moto3 roundup were on Hondas last weekend. They appear to be still the class of the field in Moto3 um, ahead of KTM. But that's not to say that KTM could not have had a podium if things had gone their way last weekend. Um, in particular, a couple of riders who had hard luck stories from last weekend. Uh, John McPhee, who ran third, um, having jumped across a big gap to get in that group, fighting for the final podium spot. He chased them down and then went past them all um, before getting caught up in battles on the final lap and he crashed a couple of corners from home, um, did John McPhee. Um, and Marco Bezzecchi, who was one of the, if not the fastest KCM rider through most of preseason testing, um, he got caught torpedoed out of it on the final lap by his own teammate, Jakob Kornfeil. He went for a bit of a, a, a bit of a block pass at turn six on the final lap, um, overtaking two riders into one. The rider on the outside of all of that was his teammate Bezeki, who ended up falling off. Um, so a bit of a hard luck story for Bezeki, who ended up finishing um, once he'd remounted um, down in 14th position. So a couple of points for him uh, in the end, but he could have easily finished on the podium if things had gone his way uh, easily, last very weekend. Fast. So a strong start in terms of pace, a good start to the season for Bezeki, who of course had that podium in the wet on the Mahindra. At Mategi last year. Um, here's how the race finished then in Qatar. Jorge Martin, the winner and, of course, championship leader. Ahead of Aaron Cannett in second. Dallaporta for Leopard third. Ahead of Antonelli fourth. Gabby Rodrigo for the RBA team fifth. Um, ahead of Fabio Di Antonio sixth. Keito Toba and Ayumu Sasaki, who both qualified on the second row of the grid. Um, the Japanese duo. Brilliant start to the season for them in seventh and eighth, respectively. Jakob Kornfeil ended up ninth and with an angry team boss. Uh, and Andrea Mino for the newly named Ankel Nieto team, Nate Aspar, um, in tenth. Um, Adam Norrid in eleventh, uh, ahead of Jean Massia and Kazuki Masaki, the Red Bull rookies champion. They were all in that podium group, um, taking you all the way down to 13th place. Um, Masaya, uh, sorry, Masaki in 13th was just 2.1 seconds off the podium in the end, which tells you how close that battle was. Pazeki, um, mm. who crashed and remounted, was still the next rider home in 14th, uh, with Marcos Ramirez for the Best of Capital Dubai team, a rather disappointing 15th, taking the final point, just ahead of Dennis Foggia. Uh, so Martin leads the championship on 25 points. He is five clear of Aaron Cannett.
then, let's look ahead to the 2018 British Superbike season before we go here on Bike Live. The new season is a week away, um, and let's run you through the calendar. As I mentioned right at the start of the show, um, permitting the Beast from the East 3 and potential snow that falls next weekend, the season starts at Donington on <laughs> Easter Monday. Yeah, keep an eye on that. We might well have uh, studded tires and snowmobiles going around next weekend if the weather forecasts are anything to go by. Um, it starts at Donington on April the 2nd, which is Easter Monday. Uh, before the second round on the Indy layout at Brands Hatch on April the 15th. Uh, round three is at Alton Park. That's the first of two Alton Park rounds this season. Um, but yeah, it is the first of two because they don't have the uh, summer round that they previously had because that's now moved to the showdown. Uh, Stetson has been brought forward to round four. Knock Hill is round five. That's on the 8th of July. Uh, the first of the two GP Brands Hatch rounds is on the 22nd of July. Um, two races there. Um, two more at Thruxton on August the 5th. Two more at Cadwell on August the 19th before the first of the triple headers. That is, as last year was, at Silverstone. Let's hope that we don't have the monsoonical weather of last year because this, once again, is the round that locks off the showdown 6 on the 8th and 9th of September. Um, the showdown rounds, much like they were last season, are at Alton Park, Assen, they're both in September, and then the season finale in mid-October, the triple header at Brian's Hatch, once again on the GP layout. Um... The championship last season ended like this. Shaky Byrne, the champion, uh, for an unprecedented sixth time um, in that dramatic final race, which uh, saw Leon Haslam cruelly robbed of the title with that break failure in the final round. Um, Shaky Byrne won it in the end by three points from Josh Brooks, who almost won the championship by accident. Um, he finished second in the end. Um, ahead of Haslam, who fell down to third. Peter Hickman, fourth. Jason Arnhalleran, fifth. And Jake Dixon, who had a pretty poor showdown after looking superb for most of the season. Um, finished sixth overall. Those who showed down sixth, the riders just outside it with Christian Eden, who won the Riders' Cup, James Ellison, who was eighth, Luke Mossy, ninth, Dan Linfoot in tenth, Brad Ray in eleventh, and Glenn Irwin was twelfth. Uh, now, all twelve of those riders you just had you mentioned are staying in the championship for this season, um, which gives us every reason to think that this year's British Superbike Championship is going to be just as competitive as ever. Um, and Dre, I mean, it's kind of got a hard act to follow, isn't it? Because last season's season finale um, had all the drama and all the agony and ecstasy um, that you could ever imagine from a championship finale. An astonishing end to last year's British Superbike season. Oh God, manly tears were shed everywhere. It was, it, it, it was that that last weekend had everything you could wish to see in a motorcycle, motorsport, sporting weekend. No matter you want to name it, it it, it was special, um, and it was a special season for BSB. It was a season that. You know, had I think it was I think it was eight or nine different race winners. I think not 10, 11, 12 different dudes on the podium at yeah. some point. Um, ultra competitive season. Uh, you know, the series has never looked brighter going forward. Again, guys like Jake Dixon and Luke Mossy again being involved in title contention, being in the mix. Um, a, a new younger wave coming through. Bradley Ray like being sensational in in, in the showdown rounds as a spoiler on an improved Suzuki. Even beloved Ginters. Hmm. Found the way to win a race in the middle of that as well. It it was it, it had everything last season, and of course, the Brands Hatch finale was incredible. Haslam's season just sadly just crumbling in front of him, um, and then a, a brake failure at 170 miles an hour, and the iconic image of him being lifted back onto the grid to congratulate Shaky Burn was uh, one of the most touching things I've ever seen in motorsport. That was a, a wonderful um, sign-off for what was an incredible season. So there's a lot to look forward to, of course. And again, again as most of the top contenders have, have, have stuck around for a little while, 
um yeah like that would be that would be great you know um you know that that, that it's, it's, a, it's a great sign going forward so yeah looking forward to seeing what what, what how it turns out and then uh yeah there's, there's a lot of potential to look forward to here yeah it is it's uh it's looking like another very very competitive british superbike season um coming up um well let's touch on some of the contenders that we're expecting to compete for the championship and we'll, we'll start with many of the showdown competitors from last season and we'll start with the man who, at the ripe old age of 41, um, defends the world title, looking to win his third consecutive British Superbike title. Um, and it would be, if he wins it this season, his fourth in five years. Um, shaky Bird, um, the evergreen Shaky Bird, who goes into the season defending the title and um, has been pretty quick right throughout preseason testing. That PBM Ducati with the Bwiser team looks um, just as good as it ever has. Um the guy who time forgot Dre um, just seems to get better and better, Shaky. Yeah, he's still the model of consistency and the man to beat in the class. He, he's always there. He's always relevant. And even when Ducati doesn't perform, they find a way to pull it out, to pull a rabbit out of the hat towards the end. They are good when they need to be good. Um, they they can limit the damage when when they know they're not going to win. Shaky is just just a, a, a consummate professional, and he is still the man to beat in this class. And he just keeps finding ways to stay relevant, and you know he's he's like Father Time has not has not started beating the drum yet for for Shaky. He just keeps finding ways to win championships, and I I don't see any reason to to think he won't be a top contender again this year. Um, Ducati still looking very strong indeed. Um, Shaky still looking very good in testing, not quite top of the pile, but in the mix as he usually is. And for now, at least that's all you really need um, to get to the showdown, and you can worry about the rest later. But um, I don't see any reason to think why he won't be challenging for wins right out of the gate. Yeah, it's, it's more difficult than perhaps in many any other series that we cover to really draw any conclusions from testing in BSB just because it doesn't quite get that level of coverage that it would um, in any other championship. And uh, yeah, they, they've been testing out in Cartagena in Spain and um, lap times are basically we've been relying on the official or the unofficial times that the teams are presented and, and supplied to is based on their own telemetry um shaky burn was quickest on the third of the days that they ran in Cartagena in spain um but uh the official test that we had um which took place at donington park in freezing conditions <laughs> was topped by leon haslam um so given that the testing was taking place in near zero mm. temperatures we can't really take much from that either um, but based on the seasons that we've seen in recent times, um, Shaky is surely one of the, if not the ultimate, championship favourite. Um, the man who will probably be most um, likely to take the fight to him will be Leon Haslam, who had that heartbreaking loss of the title in the final round last season. Um, and I guess the main thing we could take from this, Dre, looking at preseason testing and the fact that he was the fastest man in the official test at Donington Park in those cold conditions, is that pretty clearly, based on how his season ended last year, Leon Haslam is back at full fitness, which can be no bad thing. Indeed, and has looked very fast in testing as well. Um, yeah, Haslam is back. He's been very active on social media. He's been showing off a lot of his of his testing footage. He looks excited. He looks fresh. He looks rejuvenated, and that's a great sign. Um, like the series is a lot more fun when Haslam's at the front. Um, he he's he proved to be a fantastic foil to Shaky last year. A great rival. Um, and he'll probably be the leading contender to really give to really give Shaky a fight as the season goes on. Yeah, it's uh, it's likely to be um, a close fight between the BYZ Ducati team and the JG Speedbit Kawasaki team, which is unchanged for this season. And um, in Leon Haslam's teammate, we have Luke Mossy, who, um, when you purely look at the Wikipedia article of it and see that he finished ninth in the championship last season, 
Um, you might be forgiven for thinking that he didn't have a great season, but really that didn't even come close to telling the story of Mossy's season. Um, a cruel injury uh, at Thruxton cost him four races, um, and then he went on to um, fail to start another later in the season at Alton Park once he was out of showdown contention. Um, this season, he, just like his teammate Haslam, is going to feel that he's got a bit of unfinished business, hasn't he, this year, Dre, uh, with Mossy, because we shouldn't forget that the last time Mossy was a fully fit British Superbike rider, he was leading the whole championship. Indeed, he was fully healthy, leading the championship, and he'd taken another step forward because... Let's not forget, in, in 2016, he made the showdown. Um, and last year was, if anything, a little bit of a step a step forward, but also two steps back because of injury. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Mossy will believe he's got unfinished business. He's still only 25 as well. That's still so young for a, for a bike rider in this category. Um, and he's, he's still got plenty of time to rejuvenate himself as well. He's had a lot of time off. He, he, he claimed during the testing period he's back to full fitness as well. Um, he feels good again. He said the bike feels great. So looking forward to seeing what Mossy can do again. At, uh, last season, if anything, showed that he's just as fast as Haslam when he needs to be. Um, I, I was live at Brands Hatch at the Indy Circuit last last April when Mossy won both races. So he, we know what he's capable of, and I, I don't see any reason why he can't do that again. Yeah, I mentioned Josh Brooks as well earlier on, who, as I mentioned, almost won the title by accident last year as uh, as Chicky Bird basically cruised around to take the minimum points he needed last year in the final race, and Haslam, of course, had his dramatic accident. Brooks came within three points of winning the whole thing last year, um, having won that final race, and finished as the outright championship runner-up. Despite that, he switched teams. He has essentially done a complete swap with James Ellison, who's gone from um, the McCams team to the Anvil Hire team, um, Brooks has gone the other way. Um, so I'm not sure how we read this, Dre, because both Ellison and Michael Laverty, who was also at McCann's last year and has also left the team, uh, were pretty critical of that team and uh, it's you know whether they were quite up to uh, championship-winning British Superbike levels. So uh, they both left. Um, so I'm not sure how we read this. Ellison and mm. Brooks have both swapped Yamaha teams. Say so they clearly both think the grass is greener somewhere else. Very peculiar, this one. Um, let's not forget, Josh Brooks was only less than a handful of points from winning last year's championship right at the death. Brooks very nearly snuck in and won the whole damn thing. Um, Despite so, only winning three races all year. Yeah, Brooks like Brooks, very quietly went about his business in the second half of last season, and it almost um, won him the ultimate prize again. Um, he's... We all know he's as experienced as anyone on the R1, maybe the most knowledgeable racer of the R1 on the planet. Um, it's weird. Like, McCam, I don't know how much of that was McCams. I know, I know Ellison had a magnitude of problems with the McCams team in terms of reliability. Um, again, I was there live at Brands Hatch Indy when he was trying to take the start of a race two, and you could visibly see the chassis was broken on the bike when they were trying to get it on the grid. And I'm like, well, what is going on here? And we, I was sitting there with my good mate Adam Johnson. You may remember him from our old school M101 days. But we were, we were both confused. It's like, well, what the hell's going on here? Basically, none of us were able to figure out like what McCams was playing at. And the announcers didn't know what was going on. And that kind of summed up McCams' year, really, where Ellison did have the pace, won a Grand Prix. Well, I think it was a Cadwell Parky won one of the races down there and it showed that the team was capable the pace was there and edison of course is as fast as he's ever been but the team was wasn't quite there i don't know why brooks has left the tag team like again you, you very nearly won the title with them last year so i 
don't know like what the game plan here was for Brooks. I, I, I don't know what the thought process was. Like, it seems a lot more feasible on Edison's end, given the struggles that he had. But like after what happened last season, what was so appealing about Brooks going to that team? Maybe I'm missing something here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ellison last year had eight non-finishes from 26 starts. Um, mm. at the McCann's team and um, some of those were down to crashes some of those were down to unreliability um, but yeah it's been a strange old winter for Josh Brooks not only has he um, come across with this rather bizarre um, Charles Bronson moustache capped with a flat cap that seems to be his new uh, his new aesthetic mm. for the season um, but yeah he was he, he spent a lot of last November didn't he telling us how he had his gig for 2018 all sorted and he was just a case of when he was going to announce it um, and he surprised absolutely none of us by announcing he was joining McCams. Um, Never. That was, that, was, given that, that was pretty much the only top-line seat left, and it was also a Yamaha team, much like he'd been at um, in his previous two British Superbike campaigns. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to find out this year, aren't we, which of those two teams is indeed the strongest, because they're now essentially swapping riders around. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. if, if Brooks remains the faster of the two, then clearly it's just, you know, there isn't much between them and the riders making the difference. Um, so we will wait and see on that one. Um, but on Ellison, who goes the other way, he joins Amble Hire from McCams, um, and by all accounts seems pretty happy at that team. Um, although, when have you ever heard a rider join a new team and say it sucks? Um, James Ellison clearly saying all the right things ahead of the new season, but this was a rider who, through much of 2017, had the pace to win plenty of British Superbike <laughs> races last season. And yet, for whatever reason, as I mentioned, eight DNFs and a few other non-scores to add to that, he just couldn't quite put it together. It's pretty clear, though, still, Dre, if Ellison does put it together, he's a title threat. Absolutely. that's That's been the story of Ellison for the last two or three years now, like near misses and, you know, nearly getting there, but showing the yeah, flashes. He was part that... of that uh, JG Smith mm. triple-header team as well, wasn't it? He was, yeah, and again, he, he won races. He, he won a race in that in with that team as well. But he never really looked like he was going to win the title. Just one too many poor results, and he never looked like he was ever going to get the better of Haslam or Hickman. Um, so you're right. Like Ellis, the story of Ellison over the last two or three years has been nearly been a bit, a bit a bit of a nearly man syndrome, a bit of unreliability here, a couple of inconsistencies there, a couple. Of, uh, and he's always like one step behind the true top tier runners. But, you know, maybe now it will, you know, find a way for him to, to get it all together. Because if he does, you're absolutely right. I think he'll be in the showdown. No, no problem. And I think he could win the title. Hmm. I mean, there are because of the way the showdown format works, there are probably you're probably heading, heading into double figures worth of riders who could legitimately win the championship this season. Because, you know, if you just get into the showdown six, you have a real shot at it. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of the other three that made the showdown last season, um, which of those perhaps is most likely to put a title contending season together? I mean, from my point of view, Drake, it would probably be Jake Dixon, who had mm-hmm. his breakthrough season last year on that RAF regular reserves, Kawasaki. Stays with the same team for this season. Another year's experience with that kid. I mean, two wins from last year added to a number of podiums to go with that. Surely this is a season where Dixon goes from occasional winner to much more regular winner. I, I think he'll be thinking championship. I think showdown will be a minimum requirement for Dixon going forward now. Um, he, he showed that he could win a lot of races on paper. I remember at Alton Park in the showdown rounds, he came back for some awful situations and to finish right up the thick end of the field. Yeah, came from the he's pit a, lane to finish fourth. Yeah, he's a fantastic rider. and he, well, Arguably the brightest young talent the series has got right now, pound for pound. Still only 22. Um 
tr- tremendous rider. Um, again, like he's he's probably the best rider out there, not with a, with a really really big name team or a big outfit or the, the, the usual top contenders that that uh, BSB has. But Dixon finds a way to make that to make that Kawasaki dance, and he is, is again he is a sort of guy that could easily if you thought that was a third. Kawasaki Bournemouth bike with Haslam or Mossy. I don't think you'd be able to tell the difference. He's very, very fast indeed. Um, and I don't, again, I don't see any reason why he won't be up the front and thinking maybe multiple wins and maybe even outside chance at a championship. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's got every chance uh, of competing for the championship. Um, still a very, very young rider, uh, Jake Dixon. You kind of forget um, based on sort of how much he's achieved in such a short space of time, just how young the guy is. Um, mm. So yeah, a real title outside. Well, not even outside it. A real title front runner, I think, this season. Um, Jake Dixon on the twenty-seven with the REF regular and reserves team. Um, he is only twenty-two years old. Turned twenty-two in January. Um, so yeah, amazing amount of experience and talent for such a young rider, Jake Dixon. So keep an eye on him um, this season. Uh, the other two who made the showdown last season, uh, Peter Hickman, who stays with the. Um, same uh, BMW team at Smith's that he was riding for last season. He's got a new teammate in the Frenchman, Sylvain, sorry, Dre, it's not Gintoli, it's Barrier, um, who is the teammate <laughs> to, to Hickman, uh, that Smith's team. Uh, Barrier, who's a former Stock 1000 champion um, in the World Superbike paddock. Um, so he's got pedigree. But for as far as Hickman's concerned, he was, he was almost the invisible man for last year. He scored points in every race bar one uh, last year, and that was the race that almost everybody failed to finish at Silverstone. Um, mm. So clearly a consistent man, but the, the task for Hickman this season is to turn those consistent third, fourth, fifth, and sixth into first and seconds. Yeah, I mean it's one thing being consistent, but you ultimately need the big results if you you're going to win the championship. Points. It's not. Yeah, you need the podium credits to give yourself a leg up in the second half of the season. You need wins and podiums, not fourths and fifths. That's not going to win you the title once the showdown hits. Um, um, and yeah, Hickman was great last year. Real breakthrough season, Hickman. Went a little bit under the radar for the majority of the season because of other exceptional young performances from people, you know, like like Dixon um before but like that was a really good season for me when the first time a smith's a smith's led bike had made the showdown last season and that was a great result for such a small family run team mm. um the, the hickman did such a, a great job putting the team on his back and and going out there and getting it into the top six overall um a couple of really outstanding results if he can do that a couple more times across the season he'll be a real threat as well um for the, the big man himself so as you say like consistency is like consistency is nice but he, you, you need to start thinking about you know four or five wins a year if you really want to be thinking championship so hopefully hitman can can find another gear and just if you can steal a couple more wins uh, across the board here and there um there's no reason why you can't do it mm. i mean the, the, the class is full of dark horses riders that you can look at and think well they could easily win races and perhaps put a showdown run together and honda are one of those they got in the showdown last season perhaps the only team in the world of motorsport who could make that new final blade work. Um, with Jason O'Halloran finishing the season in fifth, having finished second in the final round of the season um, to pinch fifth in the championship off Jake Dixon. Um, he's going to be, a, no doubt, a perennial front runner, Dre, but the rider I'm keen on, and the rider I think might well be a dark horse this season, is his teammate, Dan Limfoot, who um, was in danger of losing his spot in that team mid-season last year, had a dreadful first half of last season, 
Finally got that monkey off his back with the uh, rather it's a knockout style victory at Silverstone um, <laughs> in the uh, race that only six finished. Um, followed that up with another victory at Alton Park next time out and looked like a rider transformed. He did. He really did. Like, like as soon as they got the first win, the second one came along quite quickly afterwards. He looked like a different rider compared to the first half of the season. And let's not forget, it's another year of development with the new Fireblade, which again got better and better as last season went on just inched from like outside top tens to inevitably winning races by the end of the year um and yeah Linford and O'Halloran too like that's that's still arguably as good a team as anything um in terms of consistency in BSB like that's a great team to have O'Halloran is a great point um a great point scorer Linford had a little bit more of the upside than him last season but there's a lot to like about that Honda racing crew Mm. um if they can get a little bit more out of the new Fireblade and, and, and they keep developing it, again, you'd think outside shot at title because like, if Linford is now able to win race instead of finishing second and third all the time, then look out. Mm. Yeah, you, you kind of see our point now, don't you, listeners, about how competitive this championship is. There are only six, six showdown spots available and we've already covered nine riders who could uh, quite easily make it in. And that's before we even come on to last year's BSB Riders' Cup winner. The most expensive paperwork in all of motorsport went to the Eden household last year. Uh, Christian Eden winning it with uh, those two seconds at the final round in Brands. Um, He's another guy, like Mossy, who will be thinking, you know, I I should have been in the showdown last season, and it was through no fault of my own that I didn't make it. Um, Having started the season with those three podiums out of four, and then, like Mossy, injury struck mid-season that cost him crucial points. Um... A team that I think a lot will be expected of this season, and that's not the first time we've said that about Tyco BMW. It has to be said. Um, but Eden will be no doubt be thinking showdown minimum, and in his teammate Michael Laverty, who can I just say was excellent on BT Sport last weekend. He was very good. Um, yes. He was brilliant. So that's his career post BSB sorted. Um, but he's now back with the team where he probably did his best work as a British Superbike rider, having jumped out of the McCams garage. Um, he'll also be expecting to be back up the front this year. Definitely, definitely. Um, whew, geez, it's, it's 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 one of those situations where it, it's just so so stacked, and like Eden was like so close to that first win and so close to that showdown where he crashed at a time where a race probably shouldn't have gone ahead, and that cost yeah, him a spot. He was absolutely he was wickened out of the out of the <laughs> showdown spot essentially um, last year. Um, very very unfortunate not to have made the showdown. He was he was Mister Consistency out of all out of everybody in BSB last year. He was the guy that just refused to go away. Um, but again, just a bad run of results right towards the deadline ultimately knocked him out of the top six. Um, I think. I think, you know, a showdown spot is coming for Ridden. Um, and I, the win has got to be this year, surely. You'd, you'd think, given given the form he's shown and, and the fact he gets a little bit better every year, it's got to be coming now, surely. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think he's if he puts himself in that right, that right position often enough, eventually the luck's going to swing his way. Uh, so let's hope it happens, because I think we'd all like to see Christian Eden get a win on the board. Um, the next uh, in the next 26 races of this season. Um, and who knows, he might well be one of those showdown contenders um, this year. As I mentioned, this is a series full of dark horses, um, riders who could quite easily um, be a real threat this season. Well, that's when you look at the likes of Glenn Irwin, former series winner, 
um, who of course won a race last season um, at uh, where did he win it? He won at Silverstone. Uh, no, he won it. So yeah, he did win at Silverstone. He won the first of those three races in mixed Indeed, conditions yeah. um, last season on the BYZ Ducati. He will uh, um, he will also be eyeing up a potential showdown spot this season and shirking that role as the number two to Shaky uh, within that team. Um, the Suzukis are likely to be a threat as well because that brand new Suzuki ran for the first time in BSBL season and was a winner in the championship by season's end, that courtesy of Gintoli. Um, and perhaps, Dre, along with Jake Dixon, Suzuki with the Bull Base team having their ranks, perhaps the most exciting and most talented young rider in the country in Bradley Ray. Yep, that guy with the glasses, I like to nickname him. Um, he's does many nicknames. <laughs> that's a cra- okay okay that's better i'm not, I'm, I'm not even gonna i'm pretty I'm not- sure that's his official nickname actually but i have heard him called that on many occasions really that's that's great that the, 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 the resemblance now i think about it is striking um but yeah quite right bradley ray was sensational towards the end of last year running with the leaders um on the podium um very very talented kid still only 19 years of age i mean 19. god he's just going to like, like 18, he just got out of school. Like this is terrible. Um, like I'm 26 in August for God's sake. Um, but but you know it's one of those things where it's like he is so talented. And if Suzuki like Suzuki weren't really all that relevant in BSB right up until the showdown rounds last season, where they got a new swing arm from the factory boys and they seemed to find like half a second, and they were all of a sudden. Bradley Ray was challenging for wins, and Sylvain Gintoli got a win after a year of ups and downs, to to say the least, um, um, for, for him on, on, on the factory Suzuki team with the brand new GSX. Again, that's, that's still a very, very new race bike. So, again, there's more to come where that's concerned out of that package. And combine that with a young rider that's very talented and only getting faster um yeah could be an outside chance of a showdown spot for bradley if the bike is up to snuff yeah because he was he was no he was having podiums wasn't he by the end of last season as well he had a third place um at alton park last year so he got very very strong and uh yeah the uh, official british Superbike championship does list his nickname as the bilky bar kid um Brilliant. so um so he's got our support this season bradley ray who is he was in fact 20 but we're splitting hers because uh, i'm 28 this year um so uh we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll stop we'll stop talking about ages and move on yeah, um please. but um but yeah in terms of the other suzukis that are on the grid richard cooper back in the class he's a former showdown man let's not forget uh in british Superbikes. he's back after uh, winning the or finishing runner-up should i say in the stock thousand championship last season to danny bocken um, Richard Cooper, who ran that new Suzuki in the Stock Thousand class, is up into BSB this season, as is Bucken, incidentally, who's with the FS3 Kawasaki team. Um, but another Suzuki rider that we need to keep an eye on um, for the splendidly named OMG Racing Squad. Um, <laughs> on, on the Yeah, that's the actual name. Um, Brilliant. Is, uh, on the number 44, we find Gino Ria, who is not necessarily a household name in the British, in British households, given, even though he is a Brit, he spent most of his time in World Super Sport and Moto2. Um, so perhaps not necessarily in the public eye. Um, he's always been in lower classes of the uh, of the World Championship programs. Um, but, you know, this guy's had Grand Prix podiums. Let's not forget, he's got a Moto2 podium to his name. Um, he's also won World Super Sport races. This is a class rider. And, I mean, he might well live or die based on how good that Suzuki is underneath him. Because um, he is with a new team. But um, in this stacked class of riders... Gino Ria is going to fit right in, isn't he? You think? And certainly got the experience. Has ridden a you know great variety of bikes. Maybe a little bit less powerful, 
But again, you're, you're, put, you're putting them on a pretty exciting race bike right from the start. So, yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on Gina as a new entry to the series. I'd love to see how he turns out there in the context of that field. It's a field that is, I still say, is every bit as good as the World Series in terms of competition standards. So, Gino staying in that range is a, is a nice pull for the series. Mm, yeah, uh, to run you through the entire field then, by the way, as soon as he does has a good result, I'll crash out of a race. You just already know what the headlines are going to be, don't you? Uh, on, oh. poor, on poor Gino, they write themselves sometimes. Um, but here's the full lineup then. BY Sijikati, of course, your reigning champions with Shaky Burn on 67 and Glenn Irwin, who's running the number two. That's the one number that I don't think any motorcycle rider would want to run, but he and Leon Camier clearly feel bold. otherwise. Um, yeah, bold. Irwin runs number two. Um, the Honda team running Linford and O'Halloran on 4 and 22. The uh, JG Speed Big Kawasaki team are running Mossy and Haslam. Mossy runs 12, Haslam runs 91. Um, we have Dean Harrison, who's in the series this season, on number five for the Silicone Engineering team on a Kawasaki. Um, Good Tyco, Exactly. Dre's a fan of that one. Um, Tyco BMW are running Michael Laverty on seven and Christian Iden on 21. Uh, the Anvil Hire Tag Yamaha team are running Ellison, who switched to the number 11 for this year. Sponsor reasons for that. Um, and Sean Winfield, his teammate on number eight. Um, we have the McCann's Yamaha team, of course, which are running Josh Brooks on 25 and... One rider who we should mention, the exciting Taron McKenzie, um, former dominant British Supersport champion, ran in Moto2 <laughs> last year. He has looked very quick in preseason. He's fitted in straight away on that Yamaha. Uh, he's running the number 95. Um, elsewhere, we have the Smiths team with Sylvain Barrier on 20, the Frenchman, and Peter Hickman on 60, uh, both on BMWs. Taylor McKenzie, so both brothers are in the series this season. Taylor's running the Moto Rapido Ducati, taking over from John Hopkins on 24. Uh, Jake Dixon's, back. Yeah, good to see him back. Jake Dixon's on 27 for the REF regular reserves team. Um, the build-based Suzuki squad have Brad Ray on 28 and Richard Cooper on 47. Carl Phillips is the sole rider at the Gearlink Kawasaki team. Martin Jessup stays up at the ridersmotorcycles.com BM squad. Gino Ria on the OMG Suzuki on 44. Tommy Bridewell, the bravest rider in British motorcycle racing because he's running 46 of um, course. For, the, uh, for the household team. Uh, Ona Suzuki, he switched from WD40, who run this year, Mason Law, um, who won last year's Superstock 600 class. Uh, he's on 55. Aaron Zanotti, running for the Aaron Zanotti racing team. Uh, so he's clearly running his own squad. He's on 64. Carl Ride, staying in uh, BSB, having ridden the final round of last season. Uh, he's running for the brand new CF Motorsport team on the Yamaha. Danny Buchan, who I mentioned earlier on, is the Stock 1000 champion on 83 for the FS3 team. Uh, the Lloyd and Jones PR racing squad are running the Czech and former World Superbike rider, Jakob Smertz, on number 96. Um, it's almost impossible, Dre, to pick a champion, but let's try and do it anyway. Um, Shaky Byrne going for an unprecedented seventh um, British Superbike <laughs> championship. Um, he'll be 42 by Christmas. Um, he still starts his favourite, though, doesn't he? You'd have to say so, wouldn't you? Like, you, like, like he's just... Again, he's just the guy to beat. He always stays relevant. He's always up the thick end of things. He doesn't make very many mistakes. Came through a lot of shit last season and still mm -hmm. found a way to win, to win the title. He's not who I'm going to pick, though, mm -hmm. believe it or not. Like, I think it will be Leon Haslam's turn to finally win a major championship this year. I have a, I have a bright hunch that Kawasaki will put it all together this year and combine that with Haslam, who is so good in anything green. Um, 
I think it's going to be Haslam's year. I really do. Mm, yeah, I mean, I my heart was definitely going to say Haslam. Um, I think he's, given how last year finished, I think a lot of us want to see him win the championship. Um, it would just be a, a lovely story if Haslam can get it done this year. Um, given that there are no odds available for British Superbike, so we have no idea what the bookies think of this because it's a bit too uh, niche a championship for even the bookies to take any interest in. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to go Jake Dixon. Um, to, wow! To, to get it done this year, twenty-two years old, and I just think he's—I think it's going to be. I mean, he, you could say last year was his breakthrough year in terms of winning races, but I think with another year behind him, last year was actually his first full year as a British Superbike rider. I think he's going to mm. be very, very strong this year, and I'm thinking, I think it's—it's it's one of those, isn't it? Just as long as he makes the showdown, he's got a real shot. Um, and I think Dixon, with that level of pace he's got, I think he is going to be at least in the showdown this year. Um, and who knows from there. Um, there are some other stories in this paddock that we will quickly mention um, in the lower classes. Um, now, there is uh, a brand new championship, well, a couple actually, um, in the class. There is the brand new Junior British Supersport Championship, which is essentially the British Supersport 300 class um, that's been mm. uh, introduced for this year. Um, but we're also going to touch on the British Supersport Championship there for a moment. Um, which incidentally this year includes, for the first time ever, the British GP2 class, which is essentially a class within a class. Um, mm -hmm. It's essentially British Moto2 um, that is now going to be its own class within British Supersport. Um, but that's not the story we're going to talk about, because I know all of you that listen to Motorsport 101 earlier this week and that have followed this story on Twitter are desperate to hear us talk about <laughs> the Sing Chow Racing MV Augusta team who have been sponsored by Pornhub. Um, <laughs> that, that, that one website that all you single guys know all about and all you guys who are not single know about but won't admit to um, yes it, it's, exactly yeah, they are yeah <laughs> they are sponsoring the uh the sing chow mv augusta team this season and it's it's caused a bit of a stir on social media this week i mean i don't know whether we should be completely surprised by this because uh, this is of course the the uh the sport that has uh voiced its support, its overwhelming support of retaining grid girls. Um, yes. So perhaps you shouldn't be altogether surprised. But I suppose, Dre, the stir that's been caused ever since, and the fact that we're talking about it on this show, um, suggests that the, the whole point of sponsorship, it's working. Mission accomplished, right? Yeah. Like, you, you get to talk about a team that you probably wouldn't talk about if it wasn't for the exactly. fact that they were sponsored by a porn site. I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. It was always going to cause a stir. I like the fact the team's tried to be subtle by trying to <laughs> yeah. blend some of the letters into the fairing. Yeah. Um, all I will say is, like, um, kids, if you see it while watching the support races out there during Eurosports coverage... Don't ask your parents what the sponsor is for, no. or, and don't, don't Google it either. Um, unless you get unless you get some very weird phone calls from the police, mm. um, especially if you're under the age of eighteen. But um, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of uh, a lot of parents who are taking their kids to motorcycle events who are suddenly putting parental lock on their laptops. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, it's the website that's been deleted from more internet search histories than just about any other. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, Seng Chow Racing uh, in the British Supersport Championship have. Uh, yeah, they've caused a stir this season uh, by uh, by uh, introducing Pornhub as their new sponsors. Uh, whether we will see that bike too often at the front of British Supersport kind of remains to be seen. Um, but uh, but we will see on that. They have uh, most certainly been making the news um, this very week uh, in British Supersport. Um, so uh, keep an eye on them. Um, the championship last season was led for a large part by Taron McKenzie. It was won in the end by Keith Farmer, um, who came through to win the championship once Taron McKenzie vacated the class to go up to Moto2. 
um, he ended up winning the championship. So uh, we'll see how it goes this season. Um, but there's one other class I want to talk about, Dre, because um, under the radar, it's not been talked about a lot lately. This weekend on the British Supersport program sees the debut, the inaugural race weekend of the British Talent Cup. Um, the Moto3 essential class that's um, being used by Dorna as part of the road to MotoGP for British riders. Um, it's going to be fascinating this to see how the inaugural weekend gets going, gets going because the rider who's dominated preseason testing, Rory Skinner, is a former Red Bull Rookies race winner. Um, mm-hmm. Lost his Racing Steps Foundation backing, so he's been essentially left with no ride for this season. So he's been allowed into the British Talent Cup and has already been dominating testing. It's going to be interesting to see this, how, how this goes on, because... From following the Asia Talent Cup, which was on BT Sport last weekend, and the CEV that's been running in Spain, they all tend to produce results. They tend to produce talent. Um, so this weekend is going to be the first indication as to whether Britain's going to do the same. Yeah, like it's 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 going to be interesting to see how it turns out. Um, I don't think anybody really knows how it's going to go. Um, it's I still find it kind of crazy that like a ultimately dawn a backed product is being on BSB television on Eurosport again um, this this week um, the next weekend. Uh, that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. But yeah, I mean, we, we we've spoken at length in previous shows about the conflicting nature almost of having multiple talent paths which you know for the talent itself is a good thing for sure you know more opportunities to get to the top is always going to be welcomed um but at the same time it could be you know we we, we don't know what it's going to produce but as you say around europe it does tend to have results so there's no reason for me to believe that i don't think we'll get the same here and i would certainly keep an eye on tom booth amos as well who i think is in the junior championship on the world that's the where the british talent team have essentially migrated to they've migrated to the junior world championship right exactly so um not having a a series in the world championship proper but in the junior world championship that's clearly i think going to be the end game here at least for now for that from for the cup going forward but uh Let's see what what talent the um what talent the cup produces and you know their future paths and how it all turns out. So I look forward to seeing how it goes. Yeah, we'll uh, tell you all about it uh, in a couple of weeks because I mentioned the championship gets underway next weekend, um, snow permitting at Donington Park on Easter Monday. So uh, we will talk about that uh, on episode fifty three. Episode fifty two next week. Um, we'll talk all about the uh, World Superbike Round at Buriram Round Two this weekend. Uh, in Thailand, and we hope to have Greg Haynes on the show to talk all about it to you. Um, we, uh, we, he's agreed to join us next week on the show, so we hope to have him on again next week. Uh, but a fascinating weekend coming up, Dre, um, because we're assuming that Johnny Ray is back at full fitness and full health again um, mm-hmm. after um, going through the Philip Island weekend with neither. Um, for the first time, Skybet have actually now entertained, or entertained bets on the uh, World Superbike Championship. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, Johnny Ray is still the odds on favourite at 1-2 to two. Um, Malandri, you can get 9-2 to two on Malandri winning the championship um, and Chaz Davis is at 5-1, to one. Sykes is at 6-1 to one. Um, I'd assume that those odds, if they'd even taken bets pre-Philip Island, they'd have been a lot higher than that um, for right. anyone bar Johnny Ray so they've already cut the odds based on what we saw in Philip Island but this weekend's going to tell us a lot isn't it because this is a round that has been won exclusively by kawasaki's ever since it's come onto the onto the championship um reyes won five out of six the only one he didn't win was when he was uh kind of you had a number done on him by sykes in that complete punch up they had in race yes. two two years ago um so if johnny ray is at full fitness and full health this weekend will surely tell us if indeed melandri and ducati are the real deal 
Indeed. Like, um, Ducati has not gone particularly well around here in recent times. This is a Kawasaki circuit. Ray and Sykes has won every round here since its inception. Um, yeah, like, I, I think this will be a better indicator of, of the state of play in the field in general because Philip Island tends to be an equaliser. Um, it's very easy to follow bikes around there. It's easy to, to basically have your lack of pace covered up by uh, high-speed corners and slipstreaming. So this will be a much greater idea as to seeing where the field is after all the adjustments to the field with rev limiting and, you know, all of Dorna's plans to closen up the series. We'll see the early signs of that in Thailand. And uh, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. I still would probably take... I think Jonathan Ray will take both races still. But it would not surprise me if if we get something wacky up the front like maybe Marco Melandro maybe even a Yamaha gets involved because I know they've gone all right around they've here got, they've got an update coming as well haven't they as well for this weekend which they uh, which we were told about in pre-season that they uh, didn't get their upgrade in time for the first round of the season at Phillip Island but they've got it this time um, for the second round of the season so uh, yeah we'll see if Yamaha do indeed get that, uh, that update and that improvement in pace uh, that they were looking for um other classes, though, um, or another class that's in action this weekend, because, of course, the Supersport 300 and uh, Stock 1000 Championships don't come along until the next round of the championship uh, when we get back to Europe for Aragon. But we do have um, the World Supersport Championship, the class that produced the pottiest of all races at this event last year, um, mm-hmm. the uh, World Supersport race around Boriram. Um, right, let's start with the good news. Um, the uh, the wild cards that impressed that we enjoyed so much last year, Kryzart and Willerot are back um, for the Woo! for the uh, Thailand round this weekend. Kryzart, who could have won this race last year, had uh, Carl Smith not gone rogue after being disqualified and taking people out. Um, he's back for this race weekend, so we look forward to seeing how he gets on. Um, but unfortunately, Dre, there is the bad news. We're doing this again. Keenan Safoglu out of Thailand through injury. God damn it! Uh, again? Yeah. <laughs> and it is oh. essentially a legacy of the of the uh, the injuries that he picked up way back at Magni Call last season, which of course he um, exacerbated back by from. crashing out in Phillip Island. Yeah, rushed back from, then re re injured himself in Phillip Island. Just he's like Keenan's having a wretched time, isn't he? Good lord, yeah. just 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 can't get back to full fitness. It's a real shame because like Keenan, we all know he's the class of the field. And, you know, it's just not quite the same without him up the front, unfortunately. Um, and again, that's obviously been to people like Lucas Mahias' detriment in the last year and a bit now. Um, again, we continue to wish Keenan the best. It's it, The series is not quite the same without him. Um, and it's a shame um, as well, because it's going to have one of those little what-if scenarios to the championship, which is just, just not fair on Lucas in pink, really. Um it, it, the series is better when he's in it with the front and hopefully we'll get a proper fight with Mahias and others in there soon with Keenan at full fitness. Yeah, I mean, I'm almost feeling pain reading these comments from him. It, it's astonishing. We've, we've spoken already about how this guy is a practically an iron man. Um, and he said, um, once the news was broken today that he's not going to be racing this weekend, he said, after the crash in Australia, I started to feel pain in the same place where I got injured in Magni Core, which is his hip and his pelvis. Uh, I thought it would improve, but in the end, as time went by, I kept feeling the pain. I took further examination, and doctors found out, um, and if you're if you're a bit squeamish, and this isn't for the faint-hearted, you might want to vote your ears here, um, the doctors found out that my hip still has a crack in it. Oh, God! And that if I won't stop and have... Uh, a, well, if I won't stop and crash once again, it can get worse, leaving me with consequences in the future. Essentially, he's saying that if he crashes again, he could end up paralysed. Fuck. 
I mean, boy, this guy's this guy is an absolute madman. I mean, he's still, he's still raced into he, the pilot. He's, he's mental. Keenan is a loony. What the hell is he doing? Yeah. Like, go home and rest up, Keenan, for goodness sake. Rest for God's sake, man. Get a grip. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he said, last year, I stopped my recovery less than a month after the crash to ride in Qatar when I was meant to sit out for 12 weeks. Um, because of that, my bones didn't heal perfectly, and so now, after Phillip Island's crash, I need more time to allow my body to fully recover. I mean, fair, I mean, look, he, he came back early to try and win last year's championship, but actually, it turns out that by doing so, he's probably cost himself this year's championship too. What a shame. What, a, what an awful shame. I mean, Keenan... <sighs> It was like a 1% chance Keenan was going to win the title yeah. by by trying to get fit for Qatar. He should probably have never done it in the first place. I think he should have just known the jig was up. Um, and It was an incredible effort to even make it to Qatar and still be competitive and be the fastest man on track towards the end of that race as well. Still an incredible recovery, but was it worth it? especially given the payoff now that might have a serious detriment to your 2018 title chances as well. You could essentially lose two years of your career just by doing this. And this is a guy that's not exactly young either. He's been around the block a few times. Like, I think he needs to be a little bit careful. I'm glad he's thinking bigger picture now, but it might just be a little bit too late for him already. Yeah, the next round, by the way, um, and this is bad news to Keenan for this season's championship. The next round at Aragon is in three weeks' time, and Assen is a week after that, back to back. Um, so if he's still got a crack in his hip, I'm not so sure he's gonna. That's gonna heal up and allow him to race again in the next month. Um, mm -hmm. So potentially he might miss the next two rounds as well. Um, so uh, yeah, Keenan Savoglu's championship hopes for this season might well already be over, which is such a shame. Um, but uh, but yeah, either way. If history is any indicator, this weekend's World Supersport race in Thailand should still be an absolute riot. Um, so make sure you watch it. It's probably looking at the schedules um, based on the way uh, timing works. If you like your motorsport on two wheels and four, it's probably going to take place around about the time the F1 race finishes on Sunday. Um, so um, you'll have a chance to, once the podium's finished and Lewis Hamilton's done spraying the champagne, you can switch over to Eurosport and watch some super sport action um, and some World Superbikes. So uh, if you like your motorsport on all kinds of wheels, two and four, you're pretty well catered for this weekend. Um, yes, sir. And, uh, and we'll cover it all next week. Episode 129 uh, of Motorsport 101 coming next week, Dre. And I'll have all the fallout from Melbourne. Yay. Again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, it's we'll, meant to we'll be wet, this weekend, isn't it? I've, I have seen weather reports. They are predicting good chance of rain on, like, Saturday and Sunday morning. So, you know, if, if you're that sort of person that begs for a rain dance... That could be fun, you know. So it's not completely dead in the water just yet this weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, like God, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying. Help me out here, people. But um, yeah, episode 129 of Minutes One, and we'll be back next week, and we will cover all the fallout coming out of the Australian Grand Prix. Please be good. Yeah, please, please be good. And if not, um, yeah, switch over to Eurosport once it's finished. You might well be. Uh... In the weekend, might be salvaged by some superbikes and supersport. Whatever happens, we will review uh, world superbikes and supersport for the pilot, uh, Thailand, should I say. Hopefully, with Greg Haynes alongside us, um, this time next week for episode 52 of Bike Live. Uh, but that brings us to the end of episode 51 uh, of Motorsport 101's Bike Live. Looking back on the only weekend of the MotoGP season, and it looks very much as if this season will bring us Dovi Marquez 2. From Dre and myself, bye-bye. <laughs>